Salutations. Welcome to Pod Mortem. I'm Travis Hunter, joined as always by my co-host, my sister and my brother-in-law. Hi, I'm Renee Hunter-Vasquez. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. This week, we're broadcasting live from the sidebar discussing the 2005 supernatural horror film, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. This film was directed by Scott Derrickson from a screenplay by Derrickson and Paul Harris Boardman. Drawing inspiration from the real-life story of Annalise Michelle and incorporating elements of legal drama, The Exorcism of Emily Rose offers a refreshing twist on a familiar subgenre of horror. This film was recommended to us by friend of the show, Daniel Wemiz, who runs Gory Bits channel over on YouTube, which you should totally subscribe to. We want to thank Daniel for all his support and the suggestion. This film was also the winner of our September Patreon poll, so thank you to all of our patrons who participated and voted. If you'd like to help us decide an episode, join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash thepodmortem. So, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, what were your first impressions on the film? I remember watching this and liking the exorcism part of it. Uh huh. I think at the time, the courtroom scene kind of bored me, but that was because I wasn't paying attention. Like I was, <laughs> well, because most possession movies are pretty straightforward. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but this one, like you said, is a different take, and I did enjoy that. I know it's early to say this, but I won't spoil it. But. Uh, <laughs> You know, it is a different look on it, and I enjoyed that. And watching it this time, I paid attention to everything like I was, or I should have been doing anyway. (laughs) Um, And you do see the differences, you know what I mean, in this movie. And if you're familiar with the actual event that happened from this Mm -hmm. or for that inspired this, uh, it is different. Very much. Yeah. But the movie did a good job of telling their version of the story. Mm-hmm. It's not what really happened, but I mean, it's a good, it's a good movie. I think the fodder was there to make a horror movie. Yes. from that story. Oh yeah, I was intrigued how much they changed and how much they kept, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember watching this when it was new and being like. I remember them saying like the gimmick was they didn't use any CGI. Do you remember that? Well, that was a fucking line. Yeah, yeah. it was like we only <laughs> used lighting. And so I watched it and I was like, oh, they can do that with fucking lighting, man. I was like blown away. But I'll also say I think this and I know nobody's lying to me when they say it came out in 2005. Yeah. But it doesn't feel right. No, I no, feel like maybe like all. 2010 would be more appropriate, not for the movie itself, but like for where I was mentally. I don't think <laughs> we were very mature for our <laughs> age. <laughs> I just feel like it doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Right. Like I don't feel like I was what 16, 15, whatever. Like that doesn't no, sound yeah. right. I was thinking about that as I was watching it. I was like, I don't remember 14 year old no. me <laughs> fucking sitting down and watching this. That does not feel right. No, but I mean I'm easy to please when it comes to legal shit like (laughs) throw me in a courtroom and i'm just like engrossed so that coupled with some like spooky shit i mean i can't really ask for more Mm -hmm. i will say though this is what i wanted from the conjuring three uh okay that's literally my first note okay because that's kind of i didn't watch the trailer i will admit Mm -hmm. Mm-mm. But it's literally about a case that went to court where they tried to prove demonic possession as part of the defense. Yeah. 
but you get like, what, like one court scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, spoiler alert for when we cover The Conjuring yeah. Three, but I did not enjoy that movie because I think I was expecting this. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's All such right. an it's such an interesting aspect of it because mm-hmm. I feel in horror films you get the exorcism and you're in the horror of the demonic possession and it ends up however it ends up and you don't think oh wow that priest was pretty rough like i wonder if somebody's <laughs> gonna say like you you don't get that far and uh-huh. but that's like real shit like that's real life i always think that in horror films what are y'all gonna tell the police like i always think that yep and so to kind of be and i know it's based on a true story so it's not like you know they just came up with it but to kind of address that here i thought was super interesting because you know demons is not really a defense Mm -hmm. not really so you know i i found that super interesting i mean the court scenes there's some uh (laughs) there's some stuff that would not (laughs) that would not fly objection your honor like from our home (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's funny i was telling your sister i um I used well, I still do, but I was watching these videos of lawyers reacting to film and TV. You know what I mean? Courtroom uh-huh. scenes, and a lot of them were like, "That's not." <laughs> it's, not like, it's not. Yeah, how that works. Like but, the judge yeah. would have arrested both attorneys. <laughs> I was like, "Oh I, shit!" I had a lot of thoughts during those court scenes. And so I watched a video from the Legal Eagle. Yeah. And he could, oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. He's great. He's great. He did some of the sunny court yeah, scenes. Yeah, that's what I've seen. But he confirmed a lot of my suspicions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, I think I was almost in the same boat as JP. At 14, like the court scenes, I didn't get them. <laughs> You're like, wake me up when someone's yeah. possessed. Because <laughs> I didn't really understand how courts operated specifically, especially in a case like this. But as an adult, I found the juxtaposition fascinating as hell. Right. Especially now, as much as we're into true crime. Yeah. Like seeing a court scene with a demonic fucking bent to it. Yeah. Like that's really interesting. Can you imagine if that was like on like happening right now oh my god like oh, that would wow. be i would be watching it every day well yeah like i was with the jody Arias trial like i would be <laughs> home from work it's on the tv but i will say now that i am older i i'm not saying i didn't appreciate it back then but i was also like you fools clearly yeah. it's demons <laughs> yeah but See, like and that's <laughs> like, looking yeah. at it now uh, it's like no we need to like there's medical shit yeah. like we really need to dig in here because you can't just stand in front of the court and say, you fools, it's yeah. demons. <laughs> and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think that that uh, argument has legs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to like out myself as the resident Shaniac here, but there's a lot of stuff that happens in this film that I'm like, dude. Now, hold on. <laughs> now, before we cross-examine this film, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, let's count to six. So the film opens with a tense, foreboding score as we see the opening credits appear. We then hear horrifying, disembodied screams of agony before we see a title card reading, This film is based on a true story. I'm instantly scared. <laughs> I, I'm the opposite. <laughs> I, I don't... I think we talked about it when we covered The Conjuring. Right. Which is going back in time a little bit. But this normally means nothing to me. 
Yeah, I feel like the problem with doing this is that a majority of the time they do it, it's full of shit. It's a yes. lie. So yeah. for this actually having some kind of truth behind it, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. This, this I will say, is the only time that I was like, okay, maybe. Yeah. Because when you know the story of Annalise mm-hmm. Michelle, It's scary on its own. Yeah. But I don't know. Based on a true story always gives me the, maybe he lives next door to you <laughs> vibes. And I'm like, fuck, I live I- next door to a demon. <laughs> Does he pay mortgage? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so he's fucking renting the loft upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. I, my thing about it is that typically speaking in a lot of these based on a true story movies with demons and all that mm-hmm. shit, I think what bothers me the most is that skepticism is not given any air to breathe. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, in the Conjuring films, I think they threw tomatoes at all the skeptics. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's <kinda> bad. <laughs> like, it's really bad. The one skeptic was like, fuck you and your yeah. wife. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, the fuck did you say? And they're like about to fight on stage. But this one, I feel like there's at least an attempt at some kind of balance. Right, right. Even though sometimes it tips the other way. Mm-hmm. Mo- mostly. But against a black screen, we hear someone cry out, Emily followed by the sound of a shrieking growl. We then fade into white, revealing a fence post and barbed wire. Between the barbs, we get a little drip of blood and then the title, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. In the next shot, we see stalks of corn rustling in the breeze, followed by shots of a pumpkin patch and the exterior of a large farmhouse. I, just real quick, I enjoyed this short little opening. It's not too long to Mm -hmm. like make you like, all right, all right, just start the movie. And it's not too short to like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) But it drew me in just enough to where I was like, okay, what's going on? Well, it's the screaming. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? You know you're about to get into some shit. Yes. I do enjoy the establishing shots of the farm. Oh, Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting they showed the pumpkins because we find out later that this is either Halloween or the day after. Oh, I didn't think about that. So I was like, they're trying to, they're priming us and they're winning me over because you show me a pumpkin. I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) But we see medical examiner played by Terrence Kelly knock on the front door. Yes, that's his name. I mean, at least they put thought into it. I appreciate (laughs) they workshopped it. It was a brainstorming session. But after nobody answers the door, he walks back down the steps surveying the property. He notices a barn made exclusively of old metal siding the weather vane overhead ominously shifting in the wind and a couple of cats who have the good sense to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah. Even the cats are like, nope, mm, no, fuck this. The animals always know. Yeah. Yeah. And you should listen. But the examiner heads back toward the house, but stops when he notices a hornet's nest buzzing with all kinds of activity. Even the bugs know. Yeah. They like, always nope. do. Did y'all not see Prince of Darkness? <laughs> it always uh, goes back to Prince of Darkness. Those bugs looked like they were helping. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, those bugs were into it. <laughs> I think those ants like the devil, yeah. man. <laughs> You're red too? Yeah, yeah. sweet. <laughs> we got so much in common. But suddenly a man appears in the second floor window and looks down at him. The front door then opens, and Maria Rose, played by Marilyn Nori, calls out to him, asking if he's the medical examiner. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's his my name. name. <laughs> <laughs> but he heads inside with her, and seated at a table, looking absolutely shaken, are Jason, played by Joshua Close, Alice, played by Katie Keating, and <laughs> Emily's sister, too, played by Iris Graham. God damn. <laughs> Hold on. Oh, no. And Emily's sister three. (laughs) (laughs) Played by Taylor Hill. So obviously they really went all out on these names. 
when you walk in there, aren't you like, I'm only here to get directions on how to get away from here? Dude, I, this the, is not my bag. The vibes were off outside. Uh-huh. Yeah. And they continue to be more off inside. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. It's clearly an evil farm starting right. off. I'm saying my name is medical examiner, not fool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sticking around for this shit. I did want to point out Joshua Close was on Fargo, the TV show. Yes. I was trying to place where it was. He looks so familiar. He was Lester's brother. Dude, if y'all have not seen Fargo, that show is so fucking good. It is great. But the examiner looks at them as the two sisters comfort a crying Alice. She's the only one that has a name. Yeah. But he heads upstairs with Maria passing Nathaniel Rose, played by Andrew Wheeler, who just appears catatonic, holding what I can only assume is a haunted doll. <laughs> <laughs> that doll was fucking scary. It's a safe assumption at yeah. this point. But they reach a door down the hall, and out comes Father Richard Moore, played by Tom Wilkinson. The men look at each other and depart company without speaking a word. I heard on the commentary that there was a large debate between Scott Derrickson and Tom Wilkinson whether or not he should say anything here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why would you? Yeah. yeah. Tom Wilkinson's like, I should tell him. That, like, no. Yeah. It's like, hey, man. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> I think there's a girl in there, man. <laughs> I, I get all this is happening, but like, shouldn't the family be somewhere else? I mean, I know that's your house and these people, the cops and everybody's coming in and out. But uh-huh. I mean... Some shit just happened. I mean, from what we can tell so far, why you guys are just all hanging out in the living room? Shouldn't you be like at the police station? I or mean, they the, weren't like watching a movie or something. No, like I, I know. They're, like, they're but in the I hallway mean, with a, something, <laughs> like, a bag of lace. Yeah. Just. <laughs> well, something like just like you, like I said, from what we can tell, something bad has happened. Oh or yeah. Something. Well, but you notice, like literally in every like exorcism film the immediate family just chills out in the house. Yeah. yeah. It's a little odd because I don't know that you could, I mean, well, but with all the shit you've probably seen, maybe you also want to be mean, there would, for this. I was going to say, uh, would you want to, I wouldn't want to leave. If We'll be at the La Quinta. But, yeah. but, <laughs> how, <laughs> room service, how please. How safe would you want it, one of the kids to be here if the other one was possessed? Well, I mean, the kid can leave. That's a fair point. I, mean, I don't think I would leave. So sister two and three <laughs> yeah. can... Sister two uh, and three should get yeah. the fuck out of here. Especially sister two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck her. Yeah, fuck that girl. I... <laughs> I really think they should have given them names. Like, yeah, it's unbelievable. That's I don't messed get up. That. I don't even think they gave them lines. Yeah. Why are they here <laughs> then? <laughs> Who knows? Well, yeah, no shit. Like, it's just weird. But the examiner heads inside the room, and an actual police officer who apparently was already in the room closes the door behind him. He's like, there's some fucked up shit in there. <laughs> <laughs> he should have primed him. But downstairs, the roses wait in the kitchen as a clock ticks impatiently. After a moment, the examiner walks in with the police officer. Regretfully, he informs Nathaniel that he can't conclusively rule his daughter's death natural. So at this point, it's like, wow, we're literally starting off the film with the death. Yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, that's a super interesting angle. I mean, I know that the cat had to be let out of the bag sooner or later because, you know, why are we in court if Mm, not? True. But. It's like the first scene. Yeah. You're like, oh, shit. And it also tells you that if we're starting here, then this film's going to be flashback heavy. Oh, oh yeah. for sure. Which yeah. I don't mind. No, not at all. If I, done right. Yes. If done right. Yeah. I love jumping through a timeline like uh, Saw. Tarantino. Yeah. Tarantino. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> but I also hate jumping through a timeline like the later sequels of Saw. <laughs> <laughs> 
But Father Moore stares out the window at the weather vane as it creaks, and we hear the distant sounds of echoing screams, I guess in his memory. Father Moore is snapped out of this, though, by the police officer, who tells him he'll have to come with him. Father Moore continues staring out at the barn before joining the officer. In the next scene, Father Moore moves through a crowd of reporters screaming questions at him, asking if he'll plead guilty and calling out for him to tell him about the exorcism. We then transition to the district attorney, played by Julian Christopher, watching the broadcast with three assistant DAs. None of these DAs are named, by the way. Yeah. Is it eight? DA1, DA2, DA3. Number one, (laughs) played by Aaron Douglas. Number two is played by Marsha Regis. And number three is played by Kayla Horstall. They ask if, at least they have lines. Well, like those poor sisters. Then give them fucking names. Yeah, even if it's just like DA Smith. Yeah. Yeah. But they ask if they should charge the parents as well. But the DA tells them that Father Moore claimed he was in full control of the operation. The real case that this was based off of, mm-hmm. I read that the, I don't want to say holy men again. I don't know. The priest? Yes. The priest? <laughs> <laughs> that was the hard re- to find? <laughs> or father. Or there whatever. were two of them. Yeah. I thought well, they had another name. Father? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cut all that up. I know. It's, the, it's staying in. The priests were charged. There were like two or three of yeah, them. Yeah, it was two of them, mm-hmm. I think. They were charged. But the courts determined that the parents had, quote, suffered enough. I don't know that legally there's an... I mean, I don't uh, know if if that's how they roll in Germany, but... They've been through enough, right? Yeah, because the original story... That's one thing I did want to point out early. The original story takes place in the the 70s in Germany. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This takes place, I don't know when. Yeah. And I don't know where. Yeah, our clothing is quite ambiguous. I think yeah. that's I think it's intentional. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And also the fact that they don't say, well, here in the great state of, you know, yeah. Massachusetts. <laughs> I don't know, you know? <laughs> they never say where they are. I guess again, it could live next door to, to you. you. Yeah. They did that for me. Yeah. So they're just wanting to charge the priest here. Yes. Well, the priest took responsibility. I know, but he's a fucking priest. But we're talking negligent homicide here yes. and your yeah. parents you know what i mean yeah. it's it comes back to the parents it starts there it starts yeah. <laughs> always starts there birds and the bees but <laughs> <laughs> the da then says that they need to get a catholic on board who knows their shit but will be seen as unbiased to the public number three suggests a guy called ethan thomas she says that he's not catholic but he's about as churchy as ned flanders <laughs> she didn't say that yeah. but <laughs> that was more me and my script uh my question is, do you think that having a religious prosecutor would be beneficial or would it not be beneficial? I think it would absolutely be beneficial because if you have some guy that's like, and this fucking bullshit that they uh, believe, okay. <laughs> and then the jury's like, this guy's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so, I also believe that bullshit. Yeah, okay. I, maybe not that much, but God uh, damn. When you are like going hard against a priest too and that's never a good look no i mean some of them have it coming but yeah. That's, yeah. that's never a good look a lot of them have it coming <laughs> <laughs> but number three says despite his churchiness once he gets people on cross-examination he tears them the fuck up get him on the court and he's trouble Last get him week. in the court and yeah. he's trouble. <laughs> but the da is down for it and says that they should make ethan lead prosecutor Later at the sidebar, fantastic name for a lawyer bar. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to remember what movie the bar was called, The Alibi. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on Gone Girl, the bar was called The Bar. 
<laughs> I wow. love it. Which is also good. Very meta. But we dip down from a martini glass to see Aaron Bruner, played by the always fantastic Laura Linney. Mm-hmm. She's going over some paperwork. And there's a very nice like cityscape outside the window. Mm-hmm. That's all CG. Yeah, I was going to say uh, at one point I was like, mm. I think you're incorrect because there is no CG in this movie. That was done with lighting. So that was a yeah. fucking lie. <laughs> <laughs> I love Laura Lenny yes. so much, dude. But I got to say, watching her like from the first scene that we meet her, I'm like, can I pause this and watch Primal Fear real quick? Yeah. <laughs> it could almost be a continuation. <laughs> it feels like, I mean, I don't know why, but she's just such a great actress Mm -hmm. and she brings with her just an authority i just love her i love her in everything i've ever seen her in ozark oh yeah dude like she's just fantastic i know this is polarizing but did do y'all remember the the mothman prophecies of course i do (laughs) one of two movies she did with richard Gere. yeah i think that she is underrated and i also think that we should cover the mothman prophecies (laughs) dude hard agree chapstick (laughs) <laughs> but <laughs> Carl Gunderson, played by Calm Fior, flanked on either side by a couple of unnamed cronies, motions Aaron over. They love not naming people in this movie. I was going to say, are yeah. they crony one and crony two? Nay, they're literally Stop! Gunderson's crony number one. <laughs> oh, wow. And Gunderson's crony number two. It's just... They were just busy, is it, I guess. Is it extra to give them names? I like, do you have so. to pay them more? And I feel bad for their poor resumes. Yeah. Oh, I was crony number two. Right. Oh, right. you weren't crony number one? Yeah. Your character doesn't even have a name. No paycheck for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? But Gunderson introduces Aaron to the men, saying what we just saw, which is not great screenwriting. <laughs> They're like, she even works while she drinks. It's like, yeah, we saw <laughs> They're just trying to sell how devoted she is, but they did that already by showing us that. Mm. But one of the men tells her that he was sure her previous client, James Van Hopper, would get the death penalty, but he admits that she proved him wrong. She simply says that the system works. It doesn't, but it's sweet of her to think that. No, it doesn't. And my first thing is like, or is she like, is this a Jose Baez situation? I guess so. Because everybody's like, man, you got fucking Van Hopper yeah. off? Like OJ or Casey Anthony? Uh-huh. Like, you got them off? Yeah. He did also get... I mean, he got her off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or she got him off. But Either way. Allegedly, allegedly. Allegedly, allegedly. I don't... I, I, well, I was going to say I like my life right now, but I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it could get worse. But it could get worse. <laughs> I like the level of awful that I'm at currently. Thank you. <laughs> But Gunderson pulls Aaron away, asking if she's heard about Father Moore. She tells him that she knows the rough details of it, an exorcism gone wrong, but not much outside of that. She finds out that Father Moore has been charged with negligent homicide, as we discussed, and that he also turned down a generous plea bargain. Aaron reluctantly allows him to continue, and he tells her that the Archdiocese, after seeing her work during the Van Hopper trial, has specifically requested her to ask Father Moore to reconsider this plea. Aaron sees this as a clusterfuck of a case just waiting to happen, but Gunderson tells her that her star is currently rising, and if she wants that to continue, she'll take the case. She's like, how high are we talking? Hinting at being made partner, even dropping hints that other firms are interested in her. She says that she wants her name on the door next to his fucking McNamara Troy status. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was thinking Sterling Cooper, Draper, Bruner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Is that that what you were thinking? Because I was just thinking of HHM. Hey, no. <laughs> there's a lot of partnerships yeah. in the shows we love. <laughs> 
But Gunderson's like, look, get him to agree to the plea first. But if he still refuses, any kind of personal testimony will be damning for the archdiocese. So keep Father Moore's ass off the stand. I re- I put in here as a joke. I said less is indeed more, and I spelled ah. more. <laughs> less is indeed Father Moore. There nah. you go. But Aaron's like, of course not. She makes a crack saying that Van Hopper would have signed his own death warrant if she let him testify before putting all her drinks on Gunderson's tab and bailing out. Uh, yeah, he probably would have gotten up there and lied about abuse from his dad mm-hmm. and like a bunch of crazy shit, right? Nay, uh, she's not Jose Baez. Oh, okay. Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> it, this just kind of bothered me because it's the whole scratch my back and I'll scratch yours thing. It is. It oh, it is. is. And I'm like, oh, you, I don't even like you. No. Like, uh, no, he's trash. Yeah. But I feel like we needed motivation for her to take this because who the fuck would want I this? I know, but still, that's shitty. Very oh, yeah. similar to the predicament that her character was in in Primal Fear, where she was, uh, <laughs> you know, the archdiocese was also right. involved. I will say, Scott Derrickson said he watched a lot of court movies preparing for this. <laughs> I, I think, think he just watched Primal Fear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I, over. I just over and over. Lenny. Yeah. Can Edward Norton play the demon? (laughs) See if he's free. But in the next scene, we see Aaron walking past several cells before arriving at Father Moore's. The jailer lets her inside and she introduces herself to him and he's just lying on his bed. I mean, I guess what else can he do? (laughs) Why isn't he brushing his teeth? I don't know. He's He's got the fucking Cape Fear tattoos. Oh, no. What do you want from him? I always thought this was weird because in my experience, I was always taken to a different room to speak to a lawyer. Not just in or, your cell? Yeah, no. That's interesting because in movies, it's always in their cell. Yeah. So yeah. I guess everybody I can hear what's going on. Is this like a weird like holding cell? Like a pre-trial it, situation? I mean, they do have those, but they're not for in his one orange. person. No, yeah, but you wouldn't be... It would be a lot of you in one room waiting your turn to go... Talk to the judge. So this is our first. (laughs) (laughs) First of many inaccuracies. But in my defense, too, if this is a state prison, I've never been to state prison. Mm -hmm. I was in federal prison. Right. So I don't know if it's the difference, but I mean, it's prison. I would figure they would if you're in your cell. Yeah, I get it's confidential. You're talking to your attorney. But what if you attack your attorney or something? There's no cameras to stop you. Nobody was even standing there. Yeah, there's nobody there. there. And she's a woman. Nobody's standing there and they shut her in with him. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) it's fucking Rorschach now. They're like, he's a priest. You're locked in here with me. So I understand (laughs) why we're taken to a different room to see our attorney or talk to her. But this is just like, nah, get in there, girl. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And and I know it's negligent homicide, but he's still charged with homicide. With murder, yes. (laughs) All great points. (laughs) (laughs) But after sitting down on a chair that was left in the cell, she tells him that her firm is representing the archdiocese. This gets his attention. He sits up, and even though he says he was expecting to see someone, he asks why they sent her. So they're representing the archdiocese or they're representing him? I think the firm is representing the archdiocese. Yes. She is representing him. Okay. Right. So he's being charged, not the archdiocese. Right. The archdiocese is just like, keep it clean. We yeah. don't want this to look crazy. Because okay. he's part of the church. They can't make he's the church a representative. Look bad. Right. right. Okay. I'm caught up. Okay. <laughs> no further questions. Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> but she says simply that she wanted the case. He thinks that it's all about her wanting the spotlight, but she doesn't give a fuck about that. She's like, I want my name on the door. Have you ever watched Nip Tuck? 
or Better Girl Saul. Or, I want that. Or Mad Men. Yeah. <laughs> but she admits that she's agnostic when it comes to the subject of religion. And he says that he'll just stick with his own public defender that he had originally. He then outright refuses the plea and she tells him that with the sentence and the prosecutor he's facing, he's going to need her in his corner. He asks her defense strategy and she says that that's up to him, whatever he's most concerned with. He says he doesn't care about Jell or his reputation. All he wants is for people to hear Emily Rose's story and to be able to hear it directly from him. So they make an agreement. (laughs) She'll allow him to testify if he'll allow her to do whatever it takes to win. She has now failed at both jobs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So as soon as she said that, I'm like, and I, oop. yeah. So you're lying to him because you're uh, not going to jeopardize your ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I was like, so do I like her? Or do I don't? Because you don't seem very genuine. To no, me right but now. I feel like this, this is the setup for the her moral dilemma of the film right right like what's more important my career or you know telling this possessed girl's story basically i think that's fair it just made me laugh that he's like okay go in there get him to accept the plea and keep him off the stand she's like i'll make a deal with you (laughs) (laughs) i'll do the opposite of everything i was told But in the next scene we're greeted by a hissing cat before we see aaron sat on a couch at the rose house She surveys the religious iconography in the living room as the cats meow in the background. Maria comes in with tea, and after a few pleasantries about the house, Erin shares that she actually grew up in a small town and her mother was a schoolteacher. Maria says that was actually Emily's dream as well, which is why she went to the university. As the cats continue their adorable chatter, we learn that there are 11 cats in the house, which Emily apparently would just bring home because she, quote, couldn't leave a stray abandoned. I'm living for it, Oh honestly. yeah, I'll take a house with 11 cats in it. I'll take a fucking demon if it means 11 cats. <laughs> <laughs> a barn with 11, or a farm. Yeah, not a yeah. House, okay, yeah, not yeah, a yeah. Cat. You're right, you're right. Like, these cats are getting out of hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the commentary, I did hear that Laura Linney is incredibly allergic to cats. Oh, Aww. shit. So they somehow did the not... The cats are CGI. No. <laughs> they lied they to you, man. They did the cats with lighting. No, the cats are just lighting. They're fucking holograms of yeah. cats. No. <laughs> I don't know how, but the info about her being allergic did not get to Scott Derrickson. And oh, no. Wow. They shot this scene, and she had a horrible reaction to it. And so they're like, okay, we'll just abort the entire scene. Yeah. So then this version of the scene that we see is actually the last scene shot in the entire film. Uh, she's like because i'm gonna be uh, fucked yeah, up yeah. forever <laughs> i think they they said they did all the close-ups and then they very quickly did all the wides with the cats mm-hmm. and then she started having a reaction they're like okay cut cut yeah. we're done we're done she retired after that <laughs> <laughs> she never acted again but aaron asks if before all the troubles if emily was happy maria says she was then in a flashback we see maria busting into a bedroom where we find emily rose played by jennifer carpenter and Alice jumping excitedly on her bed. I laughed at this part because they're jumping and they're laughing. Uh-huh. And the mom comes in like, what the fuck is going <laughs> on in here? Yeah, they're not fighting. Yeah, I don't know. She, she came does. in like super aggressively. Oh, she's pissed. <laughs> she's like, I'm downstairs trying to feed your fucking cats. And then I got to come here. <laughs> You're up here jumping on the goddamn <laughs> bed. But when Maria asks what's going on, I am very angrily. She did. <laughs> Emily shares a letter notifying her that she's receiving a scholarship to go to school. Maria realizes that this means Emily will be leaving the family, but Emily promises that she'll be okay. 
Maria goes to show the letter to Nathaniel and Emily just smiles. So off the bat, Jennifer Carpenter is one of the most underrated actresses. Dude, yes. Like she is brilliant in this film. We know we love her in Dexter. I love her on screen in Dexter. I'm still upset about some of the Some behind the scenes things. (laughs) Those are rumors, all alleged, Mm -hmm. allegedly. Yeah, she... um, Julia Stiles. She She was in quarantine. Yeah, she was. Uh, She was in White Chicks. I was waiting on that. Love White Chicks. I knew that was coming. No, but in this, like, holy shit. Yeah. The performance she gives is almost otherworldly. I mean, she... I think she might have. (laughs) She's a a method actress. She's like, I went and found a demon. (laughs) I went to the goat man's bridge. I read that she was in a play with Laura Lenny and yes. that Laura Lenny was like, you have to get her. Yeah. She, I think she said she was the most talented young actor she had ever seen. I mean, well, she's, yeah. it's a lot. Like <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. And when you're getting that compliment from Laura Lenny. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. But in the next scene, we're back at the sidebar where we see Aaron reading a newspaper article about the upcoming trial. She's then approached by Ethan Thomas played by Campbell Scott. He thanks her for meeting him and sits down after refusing her offer to buy him a drink. He orders water. I look, people don't drink. It happens. But the way he orders the water was very disrespectful. (laughs) I I can't place it. It was. But Ethan tells her the judge wants them to offer another plea deal. And when asked how he feels about it, he says it's his job to remain objective. She asks again, considering his church background, and he admits that if it were up to him, Father Moore wouldn't get a deal at all. She's like, what about compassion and forgiveness? Or does that just get in the way of your work? He's like, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I'm sorry, compassion. (laughs) First of all, sick burn. Yeah. Second of all, I think it's very interesting. They point this out on commentary. We're setting up this interesting dynamic where an agnostic is defending a priest and the Mm -hmm. belief of demonic possession and a Christian is on the other side of it. No, he's using the priest as a fucking pinata. Like that's, that's what's happening. I that that was the kind of the problem with me with that guy. I was like, you can't say that you that you're a Christian, but you're fixing to try to hang this priest. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? Well, I think I mean, I not necessarily that. My thing is, he's like, no, uh, God, 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 love, love, love. Oh no, fuck him. He shouldn't but, even well, get a that's, trial. That's what I'm saying. You can't sit there and be like, oh no, I love everything and I go to church and this and that. But that guy, no. It's like at least let him he, have a trial. Yeah, like, I, a trial is fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. And you're like a shitty lawyer too, because aren't y'all supposed to uphold justice? Yeah. and everybody gets their and day that in court. Sound like it? Yeah, unless you're a priest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, unless you're this priest, right? Mm. Yeah. But Ethan breaks the deal down. Charges reduced to reckless endangerment, a sentence of one year in jail, reduced to six months and probation if, I guess, the priest doesn't murk anyone on the inside or whatever. I mean, well, if, yeah. if somebody gets possessed, it's all that's yeah. up. And he's already got those <laughs> tattoos and shit. <laughs> <laughs> one tear for every kill. He's got the Hawaiian shirt. He's <laughs> fucked. Yeah, that was a Nip Tuck reference. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> he says, agree to it or he'll seek the maximum sentence. Aaron lets him know that that's a no-go and that Father Moore wants to tell Emily's story and that he wasn't neglectful at all or responsible for her death. A very incredulous Ethan asks if she's seen the post-mortem photos and the look on her face is a massive hell no. Mm-hmm. Which I think is very... Uh, that's yeah. probably... For as hardworking as she is, like when you've gone through the case file... One would think. Yeah, right. Before you call a meeting with the prosecutor... 
Oh bef- yeah. Before you, you go just... visit him in the cell. Yeah. Right. Have you been here drinking the whole time? Yeah. <laughs> That's all you've been doing. She's like, look, Emily Flowers was a saint. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Let <laughs> me get the name right. Before you lock me in a cell with this dude, I need to at least <laughs> yeah. see what he did to her. What he did. But she says that they'll go to trial and Ethan's like, fine by me and leaves. But later, Aaron sits in her apartment going over notes, including a section about someone called Dr. Vogel and possible side effects for the drug Gambutrol. After an exhausting evening, she sits down with a glass of red wine and switches on the TV. We then see her sleeping in bed that night, the camera slanting and sweeping into a watch on her nightstand as the hands click over to 3 a.m. Once they do, the hands stop. Now, I do want to say very quickly, on the commentary... They said that at one point, the shot of the watch turns into CGI. So Derek said... It was lighting. <laughs> what part are you not understanding? They, the director is telling me. <laughs> I don't. I want to know where you heard this because I don't know. that's such yeah, a lie. That's, uh, I don't know. Like, Listen. Okay. Um, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, you seem so damn sure. Oh, now I remember. Okay, I was gonna say, what is she, Vincent Bugliosi? <laughs> because you always got mad, dude. We talked about in his book Helter Skelter, where he says that in court, Charles Manson looked at him. The baby looked at you. <laughs> the baby looked at you, and his watch stopped. Bullshit. He gets so mad. I hope you're listening, Vincent. <laughs> oh, I think yeah, he passed I, away. I, oh, oh shit. Well, <laughs> speak ill of the dead. <laughs> that's my job. That's that's bullshit. But the 3 a.m. thing becomes a massive deal in this film. Yeah. I remember seeing that part as a kid and being very frightened to be mm-hmm. awake uh, at 3 a.m. Yeah. The funny thing to me is that I was working on this script very late into the evening. And at 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah. Once we got to the possession situation that we'll get to in a bit, it was 3 a.m. And I don't believe in any of this shit, but I was I was You're shook. Like, I'm fucked. I was a little afraid. <laughs> Not a lot, but usually when I play late on my days off, if it gets too late and I'm like, oh, it's almost three, it's like I need to wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> like, Party's need, over. Yeah, that's I need the cutoff time. Yeah. yeah, that's their time to fly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to shine. <laughs> right, I'll leave the controller right here. Yeah. Like, you can play as long as you want. Uh, right, please plug it in before you <laughs> yeah. get out. But the next morning at the Crescent County Courthouse, Judge Brewster, played by Mary Beth Hurt, basically takes attendance of the counselors and the jury, then allows Ethan to begin his opening arguments. I do want to point out, Mary Beth Hurt's husband is Paul Schrader, who wrote Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. What the fuck? And Hurt, her last name, I believe she was married to William Hurt? What? Before this. Did they write the Hurt Locker about her? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But and she's a good actress in her own right, so I don't want to make it like just about her husband's. John Paul looks so disappointed in me. <laughs> well, I mean, he should be. <laughs> <laughs> but as Ethan introduces himself to the jury, Aaron notices that her watch is stuck at 3 a.m. Ethan explains that the evidence of this case will show Emily suffered a medical condition that left her unable to care for herself and that after her care was entrusted with Father Moore, he convinced her to forego medical treatment in favor of religious treatment. He says an exorcism performed by Father Moore led directly to the death of Emily Rose. He then goes for the emotional plea, saying that he represents someone who is not here to represent themselves. 
a young girl that could have been their daughter or his. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> That's some cheap you bullshit. Got, you got to get them it, where they live. It's yeah. cheap, but they, it works. They use yeah. it all the time. It works. Yeah, I was going to say, he's good, but he's a dick. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, it works. Because it does. It And the jury's like, my daughter? Yeah. I have kids. I, yeah, very easy to be relatable. Burn the breeze. <laughs> Dude, she hasn't even made her opening argument yet. (laughs) (laughs) He made them think of their kids. Done. But he says a girl who trusted Fathermore with her life died because of it. He then shows a smiling picture of Emily before the exorcism, then shows a post-mortem photograph of her, complete with all kinds of bruises and allowing their minds to fill in the blanks of what happened. Aaron knows this looks bad. Well... When we're looking at the picture, her face looks like, what the fuck am I doing here? She's like, we should have taken the plea. (laughs) This is a huge mistake. I shouldn't have drank all night. (laughs) I should have learned her name and shit. (laughs) But Ethan says that he stands here for Emily Rose, who died horribly at the age of 19. And he says he hopes the jury remembers her as she was when she was alive and as when Father Moore left her to die. So I've been in trouble a lot, but I've never been like, there just to kind of like oh what's happening but so he's he's trying to fight against the priest and say he did all you know what i mean all this yeah. but the family is behind the priest they're not with the state nobody asked you to come and do this i don't understand the family is all there like look he did exactly what we you know what i mean we were trying to help her they're sitting there making it seem like he's a monster. I think the thing is, is that it comes to a point where it's not a matter of would you like to press charges? It becomes a matter of the state bringing charges because I, a death. Of the death. I get that. But I guess more what I'm trying to say is like, how do you want me to believe the state when the family is behind the priest? Well, but it depends on how you look at it. If you think they're all hyper religious, you know, nut jobs, right, for right. lack of a better term. Wow, and then her parents even let her die. Wow, we really need to get this guy. Yeah, and then they the jury might be like, we should charge them too. Yeah. Well, the parents are just like, it'd be like that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, they're not freaking out. Nobody's acting strange. No, that's they're another not, I thing mean, that I found a little strange with this movie is I know we get some emotion, like, you know, in a few key moments, but we really don't care about the parents at all in this movie. Yeah, I, I, we don't care about the family. <laughs> the sisters don't even have names. Nope. Like it's like, there's no, I feel like we could have gotten a little more of that mm-hmm. because it's almost like as the movie goes on, like the priest is her dad. Like everything, yeah, I, everything we know about Emily. Well, they call him father. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the priest is everyone's dad. Yeah. Everything we know about her, we really get from him. There, there are a couple of moments that we get later on, but I definitely agree that the parents are very, even on the cast list, they're at the bottom. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's if I made this movie, (laughs) they would probably just even just to elicit more emotion from us. I'd probably, you know, get him off the bench a little bit. Right, (laughs) right. But the judge asks if Aaron wants to make the opening statement for the defense. And she says that she's going to reserve that for when they present their case. She calmly tells Father Moore that that was always her plan. But Ethan looks at DA number one like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. He, I don't understand why he's so mad about it. He got to make his argument. He's mad about everything. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> this is well, a very angry man. I mean, if you're thinking strategically, it's like, well, oh, that's what true. What the fuck? Why? You might be a little concerned. Yeah, it's like, hmm, maybe there's something I don't know why she's waiting. What if, like, her, my opening statement, come out, Emily. Yeah, right. <laughs> she just, like, fucking. Come out, God. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a light. 
You know, what was it? There was like a wrestling thing where Vince McMahon wrestled God. Oh. Stop it. I'm not even fucking around. And literally his entrance was just a light coming yeah, in. The- <laughs> Dude, the WWE got so fucking yeah. stupid at some point. Sometimes yeah, I, mean, I, I, I don't know what happened. the funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in all fairness, he's Vince McMahon. I guess. So- <laughs> He thought he had a chance. Yeah. God, God had yeah. no chance in hell. Uh, yeah, right. It's a cage match. Yeah. It's like, what? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. But Ethan calls Dr. Vogel, played by Mary Black, to the stand. Vogel explains that she knew Emily her entire life, as well as the other Rose children. She says Emily was excited to go to school, but a little nervous about the big change. After leaving for college, Emily sent her a letter saying that she met a boy called Jason at a dance but to not tell her mother because her mother apparently warned her both about dances and boys. <laughs> and That's I'm like, I, is this the town from Footloose? That's exactly what I was going to say. So what is this? The tiny town from Footloose? <laughs> what? See, and again, this is to me for the jury painting the parents in a very bad light. You yeah. got like, you don't approve of, of dancing, dancing and music is out too. Maybe that's why she <laughs> busted in the room all pissed off. Oh, yes. Y'all okay. better not be fucking yeah. dancing on that bed. Is there a boy under that bed? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But why is he called Jason? Why is he not named Jason? Oh, that's just how I say we, it. We, oh, we, uh, <laughs> like they were, no. I was like, damn. He's allegedly <laughs> named Jason. No, I, I just it's say. It's an alias. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> He's called Jason. <laughs> <laughs> you're like no that was me yeah but vogel says that she didn't hear from emily again after that and instead would later get a call from maria at 4 a.m she made a point to say that it woke her up i was like this isn't about you yeah. <laughs> i had had a real hard day and then they fucking that's me yeah. that's me on the stand let yeah. me take it back to the beginning i've never been a great sleeper it's like, my, my whole life <laughs> but we then get a flashback to emily at the university she stands distraught as the wind whips around her. Vogel says Maria asked her to call Emily on campus at a payphone, and we see Emily rush toward the phone as it begins to ring and answers it. Vogel says Emily answered hysterically, and we watch as Emily sobs and groans with the camera rising above the scene. We're then taken to Emily's bedroom that night in the dorms as Vogel explains what Emily told her, and we watch as it plays out. Emily's roommate had apparently gone home, which left Emily alone in their dorm. We hear thunder outside, and Emily wakes up to see that it's 3 a.m. She apparently thought that she smelled something burning, but when she doesn't hear the alarm going off, she gets up to investigate. She goes out into the hallway, bathed in orange and blue light. Your shit. I love it. Yeah. Here's the thing I do want to point out. There is a lot of terrific lighting in this film. I, t- I told your sister that when we finished the movie, I said, there's a lot of weird lighting choices at times. I've noticed that when some spooky shit is yeah. going down, there's like a purple yes. situation. Yeah. Anytime, I'm here for it. No, Anytime yeah. you see purple, like shit's about to happen. Yeah, hold mm-hmm. on your tits. And then Prince starts to sing. No. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear in the commentary that he talked to his cinematographer. Mm-hmm. The only film that he made him watch Primal Fear. No. (laughs) No. It was Dario Argento's Suspiria. Of course. And so that scored some points with me. Well, then I feel like they really held back on the color. (laughs) In all fairness, it was just all... Did he even watch it? I don't know. I think he fucking skimmed it. (laughs) But I did want to point out, because they talked about it on the the commentary, and it kind of changes the way that you watch the film. He said that orange represents terror, Maroon represents curiosity. White represents hope. 
And as you said, purple represents the supernatural. So anytime you're watching this film and you see these colors mm. pop up, you can kind of get the feel of what they were going for. Now I want to rewatch it. Is this going to be on the test later? <laughs> this is the <laughs> test. <laughs> test. Oh, shit. <laughs> I just thought it was crazy colors all the time. Right. I didn't. I. It wasn't that it was bad because I did enjoy it uh-huh. and I did notice it, but I didn't. Like the color scheme, I didn't pay attention to. I was just like, oh, shit, there's something there's going on. There's one scene I'm thinking of besides the obvious one later that is very white. Yes. And I'll, I'll point it out. Okay. But when you said that, I was like, oh, okay. And it yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. And the thing is, is that as I watch it, I look at the color. There's something about... Uh, you can win me over with an interesting color palette. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very easy, easy to please. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I saw this and I kind of paid attention to it, I was like, wow, they really did that shit. Yeah. Because it fits every single time. Mm-hmm. But I digress. <laughs> Emily walks towards one of the doors at the end of the hall, but she hears a loud crash. But then the door at the end of the hall suddenly swings open on its own. Those doors are heavy looking too. Oh yeah. That's not the wind. That, no. Yeah, that was that I'm not gonna lie. That's fucking scary. It's like there's nobody there. No. And the doors are just it's like uh, I'm not closing that one. I'll it's, close this one. But. <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's like demons in this film obey like they have to open doors yeah. like us and stuff. It's like funny to me. <laughs> well, like us. Like us. They're just like <laughs> demons. Just like us, They're guys. just like us. So relatable. You gotta invite them. <laughs> demons or <in>. Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> <laughs> But as it opens and shuts, she bravely rushes toward it, pulling it shut herself. Again, could not be me. Absolutely. Like, I cannot stress enough. No, I see. I have a belief in some of the supernatural stuff. Mm -hmm. I think demons are bullshit. So movies like this, (laughs) I don't understand why they scare me so much because I don't believe that they can happen. But supernatural demonic possession movies honestly scare me more than like The Exorcist is like one of the scariest films I've ever seen. Yeah. I believe in everything. Oh, fair enough. Uh, so I'm constantly terrified. <laughs> I'm serious. Like the wind can blow and I'm like, that was a fucking ghost, man. <laughs> so your quality of life isn't great either. No, <laughs> <laughs> but it could always be worse. There we go. I did want to point out that there's a shot of her walking where we get like a shot of her feet coming down the mm-hmm. hall. Mm-hmm. They had a camera on a string and a dolly and they just pulled the string. he had said that he wanted some kind of like handheld situation but with the cameras they used they couldn't really accomplish that so they had to improvise and i think it there's a lot of frantic shots at some points in this movie yeah there is and it almost feels handheld but it works really well unless they lied to me like with the cgi (laughs) there is no cgi they had this whole movie was handheld (laughs) (laughs) but emily heads back inside her dorm room but as soon as she gets in the door slams behind her she slinks back into bed and closes her eyes as the camera presses in. It gets deathly silent, but then we hear something rattling. A cup of pins on her nightstand just inches its way off the edge, tumbling to the ground. Emily sits up as her blanket is pulled off of her legs, which is kind of standard demonic fare, but still scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is when I got upset because when she's fucking around in the hallways and playing with doors and shit, my note was, go back to your room and get under your blankets. Why? Because the blankets uh, are forced. The field. blankets are safe. Don't, no. uh, that's what Stephen King said. And then so now the demon what? is breaking <laughs> that rule set by Stephen yeah, King. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. And uh, first of all, how dare you? Uh, party foul, <laughs> fucking what? demon. Yeah. This possession doesn't count because you, you oh, okay, broke the law it. to get it. <clears throat> it's like when you search you, someone yeah, without a warrant. You sign the you warrant throw the, the evidence out. Yeah. 
I saw a movie where they said that someone signed a warrant. It was Nightmare on Elm Street. Someone signed a warrant in the wrong place, so Freddy Krueger went free. <laughs> I think the judge would have some leniency there. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, he got off on a technicality. Yeah. He fucking initialed on the wrong line. Yeah. <laughs> and now a child murderer is just out on the streets. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. But Emily then begins to sink into her bed, the wood creaking as she does. She attempts to struggle, but then grabs at her throat when she can't breathe. She fights off her invisible tormentor as she continues to sink, her arms being thrown against her pillow. Then, as quickly as it began, she's released, falling to the floor, screaming. She runs outside her room, which we, I guess, can assume is where the phone call takes place. Jennifer Carpenter was really doing that shit. Oh, yeah. She gives every ounce of herself to this film. Like, it's insane. Mm -hmm. They said that they did so many takes of a lot of these scenes, and she never lost intensity. (laughs) I cannot imagine. She's on, like, a 15 constantly. She must have been exhausted. (laughs) I think a day at work is bad. She's fucking flopping and screaming. It's a lot. They said that, I guess, they wrote a lot of special effects shots into the script for the possessed girl. Mm Mm-hmm. And after Jennifer Carpenter's audition, they realized her performance was more frightening than what they had planned. (laughs) They said it's scarier than anything we could create. Wow. And so they dialed it back and took a lot of that out of the film. So that's when they decided to take the CGI out. Of course. Maybe that's what. Mm, I got it. It it got Purple Monkey dishwashered (laughs) (laughs) on its way to you. (laughs) There is no CGI. See, I know you said that you don't like the whatever because she's under the covers and the demon. I enjoyed this. No, I am offended by it, is oh, what I said. Well, the demon knows I the rules. You know yeah. you know the rules. If I'm under the blankets, there's nothing peeking out. You can't get me. That's why you don't okay. dangle your foot off the edge. You don't dangle your foot off the edge. Because demons have a foot fetish. <laughs> well, you wait for them to put their hand up, and then you hold their hand and ask them, what are we now? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then they're like, wait a minute. And we go to sleep. Yeah, then they get scared and run away. <laughs> wait, demons, so this is a love yeah, story? Yeah. <laughs> demons are afraid of commitment. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's how you get them. (laughs) See, I like this better because usually if it was a ghost or something, you would have just seen the imprints of them on the bed or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This was heavy. Yes. This was a mass. It wasn't just a, hey, I'm a ghost. No, No, this was a, I'm fixing to fucking kill you. Yeah. And that whole bed sinking in, I was like, oh, fuck, that's got to be one heavy ass fucking spirit or whatever. I was like, either that or she's getting hypnotized by Rose Armitage. (laughs) Now sink. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think that this scene is very effective. Mm -hmm. Very scary to start with this first scene. Yeah. Dude, the demon is choking her. Yeah. Yeah. To begin. No. Yeah. He starts pretty... uh Pretty aggressive. Pretty yeah. aggressively. I thought it was just literally going to end with the pins, right? the door, and then that was her first yeah. experience. That's usually what we get. Yeah. You know, like a door moving or uh, I thought I closed this window, but no, he's like yeah. full. Yeah. <laughs> he has no time to waste. Nope. But back in the courtroom, we're introduced to Dr. Mueller, the chairman of the Department of Neurology, played by Kenneth Welsh, and he answers questions from Ethan. Mueller says that he assumed Emily was probably just on drugs, but her test came back negative, and the more she explained what happened, the more he thought it could just be epilepsy. First of all, great scientific approach to mm-hmm. be like, oh, she's just on drugs. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, He's secondly, using all of his training. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> secondly, if I had that experience and I went to a doctor and they told me I was epileptic, I would burn his practice down. So you would commit arson? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would be on trial. Wow. 
Well, I think that that's kind of ridiculous because for her, it felt so real. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you go the neurological route before you go yes. the drug route? Yes. Yeah. Especially with her background. Don't they know that she's not on that fucking V? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she's afraid to dance, dude. Like yeah. she's not. She's not meeting someone in a back alley. She's and not on Molly. <laughs> But Mueller explains how seizures can cause loss of bodily control and involuntary contractions and even have hallucinations. We watch Emily suffer a seizure in her bed, falling to the floor with her eyes rolled back white, twisting in an unnatural fashion. This stuff I love. Mm -hmm. Me too, because it gives you that, okay, wait, what's really going on? Right. I think this film, it's pretty heavy handed what they want you to walk (laughs) away with. Uh, But some kind of ambiguity as to like at the end of the day, was she just sick? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what we get with the real case. Yes. I live for that shit. I love it. And the matter of actually showing these flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be, like literally, it's like Clue. Or was it like <laughs> this? <laughs> yeah. And the th- if they don't show them, then Ethan and Mueller just look like assholes. Yeah. Mm, yeah right. It was probably just a seizure. I Honestly, they look like assholes anyway. Well, don't. Like, that's I what mean, I'm, yeah. But I'm saying that that's one thing that I don't know kind of dings this is it is very heavy handed. Mm -hmm. And so anyone who introduces that it could be not a demon, it's like, wow, what a piece of shit. Like they all suck. It's funny to me because Derrickson said that he is a believer. Yeah. And Boardman, his co-writer is a skeptic. And so they said that they tried to balance the two, <laughs> but I will say that this was directed by Derrickson. <laughs> so <laughs> by balance the two, do they mean lock Boardman yeah. in the closet and not they let him, him out of room? <laughs> He's like, I didn't say believer. I said believer. Yeah. <laughs> like I love Justin Bieber. That's it. Yeah, that's it. I don't know how that applies here. Uh, I thought we were making a documentary. <laughs> He's like, I got the shirt, yeah. the hair, what the fuck? He wore it all he directed. Yeah. <laughs> But following his assumptions, Mueller ordered an EEG, which showed possible epileptic focus in her left frontal lobe. So he prescribed Gambutrol and advised further tests and appointments, which Emily apparently failed to follow through with. Mm -hmm. The reason is that she believed Father Moore that the cause of her ailments were spiritual and that after October, when he spoke to her, she said Father Moore also told her to stop taking Gambutrol. He says he firmly believes Father Moore's suggestion killed Emily. And Aaron pops up with an obvious objection to this. I was going to say, in the words of the great Phoenix Wright, objection. (laughs) Are you fucking dude? I think he killed her. You're poisoning the well. Oh, yeah. yeah. Stop it. Oddly, the judge says that she'll allow it. She's like the judge from Futurama. I'm going to allow this. (laughs) But this is when Aaron's cross-examination begins. She's like, possible epileptic focus, huh? So it could have also meant nothing. So Mueller admits that that's also possible, which would mean that Father's more suggestion to stop taking Gambutrol would actually have been good advice. She also gets him to admit that Emily's symptoms were atypical of epilepsy and more indicative of psychosis. That's also great science is mm-hmm. taking the results and making them fit Whatever your you diagnosis. Want. Yeah. Yeah. That's she does lay into him for that. Yeah. I'm, that's bullshit. Well, I mean, dude. She's right, though. She oh, yeah. is. And that's what I'm saying. Like this doctor really could have been a very interesting, incredible character to add doubt. Mm -hmm. But instead it's just like, no, I wanted her to be epileptic. So I made the result. She was epileptic. (laughs) I just think it's so funny that he said that to Ethan, but the second she asked, he's like, well, it might not have been, I don't know. (laughs) Well, I am not a doctor. (laughs) I'm sure the state got him to come in and was like, look, Mm -hmm. this is what you need to say. Yes. And, 
he can't lie on the stand. No. So, I mean, when it was her turn to say something, he's just got to be like, Ugh. You got to buy Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, look, I bought this coat at Spirit Halloween. Right. <laughs> right. I bought this when I got paid. By yeah, the by prosecution? The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this coat came with fishnets. It's, yeah. a, it's a sexy doctor costume. <laughs> But she lays into him for picking and choosing shit, like we said, that just basically fit his argument rather than presenting the facts as they are. But she has to withdraw this after Ethan objects to it being argumentative, which it absolutely was. (laughs) I always thought that objections were kind of funny in the court of law because if they're stricken from the record, the jury doesn't forget about them. That's what kills me, because it's like if you're willing to like risk it for the biscuit oh yeah you can just be like oh he murdered and i saw everything and <laughs> and they still heard you yeah like you can be held in contempt or whatever but if you really want to get it out there you can say whatever the fuck you want yeah but doesn't the judge have final say the judge has final say and it can be stricken from the record, the record. but the jury who's deciding the fate you're not scrubbing their brain they I still know, heard but everything I'm, no but th- but i'm saying doesn't the judge like at the end even when the jury says whatever the judge decides what happened yeah but the well, in some well, trials, I mean, well, I well, would, no, yeah. we well, no, that's why I'm a yeah. true crime show that we get. But in some trials, yes, and not all of them. So it's like you know, yeah, you can strike it from the record, but I still heard that shit. Right? You can't be like uh, jurors. Well, don't no, think about well, that. I part. know, but that, the reason I'm asking is because even if they strike it from the records and the jury heard it. I'm the judge. I don't give a fuck what you think he's guilty or not. I what I say goes. But or is I, that, don't, I don't think that in a like if the jury finds him guilty, the judge right. can say, I, I disagree. Yeah. Nuh-uh. Well, no, that's what I'm asking. Yeah, I don't I think so. Yeah. So, but the, well, the, the, yeah, but she can just be like, uh, all right, you find him guilty, but I'm going to let him go. Oh no. There has to be a lawyer listening right now. That is right, just please. screaming. Yeah. At us. Right. Phoenix, <laughs> right, help us. A Phoenix, right. <laughs> I don't think a judge has that power because otherwise the jury is useless. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I know, but I mean, everybody, when they see a judge is like, oh, yeah, yes, sir. Well, yes, well, yes, because, yes, yeah. well, because if you're not, they can charge you with contempt. <laughs> if well, you're I rude. Get that, but again, yeah. if you're treating them this highly, then obviously they have some kind of power. They can flex no matter what well, they're, they want. They're in control of the whole operation. And I believe that they have a say in, sentencing sometimes the judge decides the sentence well that's why i guess that's what i'm trying to get at yeah okay so not all of them right it's a no pun intended it's a case-by-case basis right i've always just been found guilty there's no (laughs) (laughs) just make it easy like i don't know no jury no (laughs) but later aaron visits father moore in his cell again she eyes an empty cell next to his and for some reason finds it peculiar. She has a look on her face. Do you notice that? Was there a demon over there? I don't know. He's like, hi, Aaron. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Put him on the stand. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was there. <laughs> we got a surprise witness. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just the light, but from below. Just... <laughs> it's just a shadow. Didn't Vince McMahon yeah. wrestle that yeah. guy? <laughs> <laughs> Right, he's headlining WrestleMania. Yeah, a, oh shit! Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is a celebrity witness. <laughs> but Aaron sits down with Father Moore, and he tells her that he has to tell her something very important. He says there are dark, powerful forces surrounding this trial, and he tells her to be careful. She kindly reminds him that she's agnostic, and he says demons exist whether you believe in them or not. And her taking on this case could actually open up the door to demonic attacks. I wrote in my notes, you hear that, D? I knew you would. <laughs> Look, I'm just happy that someone believes in me. <laughs> Demon, whatever. I, I just care. hope the demons are proud. Yeah. As long as they're supportive, it means a lot. 
Rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, right. Demon. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> you really believe in me or not? Yeah, shit. But Aaron's like, Ethan's attacks are more important to focus on, so you can can this demonic discussion. She asks what happened to Emily after the dorm room incident, and Father Moore says that she went to the university hospital for testing and observation. In a flashback, we see Emily standing at the hospital window as a storm rages outside. In flashes of lightning, Emily notices a demonic face moving through the clouds. She falls to the floor, knocking over a cart, writhing in agony and screaming. I saw in commentary that Jennifer Carpenter actually cut her ankle on that cart. Oh, oh man. man. And she was oddly very proud of it because she worked through the scene. <laughs> They're like, well, use it, use it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the demon came and was like, I said. <laughs> like, he was not done. He showed his face. Yeah. yeah. Is nobody going to help her? What kind of hospital is this? Where is yeah. everyone? Aren't you supposed to be It's the hospital from her? Halloween 2. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're off showing each other the flesh. Exactly. In the fucking oh, hot tub. Hot yeah. Tub. Yeah. Who's watching the babies? <laughs> I'm still so mad about it. Yeah. You had one good nurse in that whole fucking hospital <laughs> and she was treated like the villain. Yes. Michael Myers was the villain. Yeah. Yes. Well, well, they're saying they're monitoring her and they're giving her medication for this net. Where? Where are monitoring you? Monitoring where? Yeah, they, where? They literally called it observation. Yeah. Where? <laughs> they're observing their fucking lunch yeah. in the break room. Observation for the demon. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So you are just watching this happen like, hmm. He's watching. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> But in present day, Jason tells Aaron that Emily was able to resist the demons in her dorm room, but in the hospital room, they overcame her. Emily believed that that was the night that she actually became possessed, and things only got worse from there. In the past, we see Emily walking hurriedly on the campus through the rain and into a classroom. Once there, she sits distracted among her classmates, staring out the window into the rain. I just have to commend her commitment because mm -hmm. I got a demon in me. I'm not fucking going to class. No. Yeah. We'll email our professors and <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to miss tomorrow. <laughs> At least. But Emily cries and clasps her hands in prayer, but stops when the dude next to her just stares at her. She tries to collect herself, but when she turns back to him, he opens his mouth in a snarl and his eyes bleed black out of his sockets and down his face. That's CG, eh? It was lighting. Yeah. The dude's like, so you got a demon too, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you might want to see a doctor for that. Yeah. First like, time, huh? We've got, <laughs> we've got a club for that if you yeah. want to join. But Emily jumps from her seat, screaming as everyone just stares at her. She snags her things and runs outside into the rain. Cars pass her by, the occupants of which take on distorted faces. As she continues her walk, she passes a couple sharing an umbrella, but as they get closer, their faces grow demonic and they hiss at her. Nobody asks if she's okay. Nope. Yeah. And that that's what I, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with everybody? Nobody is saying anything to her. Everybody's just snarling at her and looking crazy. Snarling. And yeah. it's like, why? Well, that's what I said. So it's a good Help word. Her. Yeah, no, they I could. wrote it down too. I was oh, like, why are they snarling? Are they snarling? It's, it's just so odd because I know that presumably there was one demon dude in her classroom, right. but the teacher yeah. didn't try to help. Nope. None of the other students tried to help. She's like in a dress in the pouring rain, visibly yeah. fucking freaking out. And everybody's just like, meh. And if she's on the college campus, somebody has to That's what somebody I'm saying. Be like, you hey, would hope. Yeah. Well, I do also want to point out that. In 2005, bullying was still cool. Okay. <laughs> so they were probably like... So that's like, why they're snarling. This fucking weirdo. Yeah. They probably actually were snarling at her, dude. Fuck off, Ned Flanders. Yeah. I do also want to point out that there is a bright 
array of orange lights against the building mm-hmm. as she's running and being snarled oh, at. Right. So what was that again? Terror? Terror. It fits. There you go. Mm-hmm. But she rushes off to the university chapel where Jason notices her and calls out to her. There are tons of purple lights in the chapel. Yeah, I, Demons. I noticed yeah. that too. I was so, like, what the fuck? <laughs> as you're watching it, you're like, all right, you know, you're starting to get all these meanings. Yeah. But once Emily makes it inside, she approaches two elderly women sat in a pew. They turn to look at her and their faces also take on a demonic distortion. So Emily just screams in fear at them. Outside, Jason heads to the door, but those women bust the fuck out of there. Yeah. I was going to like talk shit about them for not also not trying to help mm-hmm. her, but I would have fucking ran oh, out of yeah. there too. Yeah, probably. Oh, I did find it odd. Why aren't they at a regular chapel? Wow. Like, why did they go to the university to worship or whatever? Well, maybe it's They're just like the students, community right? thing there. Yeah, maybe. Sometimes maybe. we go back late. That's how I feel walking around campus sometimes. That, like those elderly <laughs> those <old> women? <laughs> I, I mentioned, hey there, fellow kids. <laughs> I mentioned on Prince of Darkness, I got my bachelor's at 28. Being on campus, even, and 28's not old, but you feel like the grandfather You're of like, everyone. You're like, get off the lawn. <laughs> giving everyone oh, wait, like, I'm also on the wise lawn. advice. Why am I standing <laughs> on the lawn? <laughs> then an older student's like, hey, get off the <laughs> lawn. <laughs> But we get a shot of Emily's eyes, her brown irises imbued with blackness. Facing the altar, Jason approaches her slowly from behind. He watches as she reaches her arm out, arching her back, cracking and bending into a 90 degree angle. I think we should see other people. <laughs> How long have we been dating? Though? We I mean, just really? met at a dance, dude. Yeah. We just met. I, I'm, I'm not signing up for all this. Not to bring up Prince of Darkness again, but it's been a week. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not touching mirrors. Mm. We're not. We're not. None of it. No flesh has been shown. No flesh. No, I, I can't. I don't know. I, part of me wants to agree with you, but the other part is like, I, you can't leave this poor girl like that. Well, no, but we don't. Really, I'll drive her to the hospital. We don't hospital? have to be dating anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that. That's just sounds really shitty to me. <laughs> well, uh, I'm I mean, out. I, mean, well, I get it, but <laughs> see, I, I I just want to point out very quickly. I'm obviously joking, but well, then no, yeah. know, JP but, made us look like assholes. Yeah. <laughs> so now we have to point out that that was a joke. <laughs> we would help this girl. We would take her to the hospital. We wouldn't be like fuck you. Pew. And <laughs> I'll hold your hair while you throw up. Yeah. Yes. I I do want to point out that the bending is a visual effect. They have like a little harness underneath her. Okay. They had her bend a little more each time. They cut the shots together. And no, then they, cool. Like, I think they helped her bend that complete horizontal. Yeah. Because you can't just do that. No. She did a lot of contortions on her own though. Damn. There's like a lot of stuff that ends up in the film that is just straight Jennifer Carpenter. Well, this looks fucking creepy. Yeah, as it shit. does. And it, it looks does. real. Yeah. yeah. But Jason reaches out to her and she just whips her head in his direction. The whites of her eyes now red, screaming for him not to touch her. He stumbles back and Emily collapses to the floor. She sobs, begging Jason for help and for him not to leave her. So mixed messages, but yeah. you know. What do you want from me? I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on inside of her, so I understand. But we see him get closer to her as she reaches out to him, like almost holding her. So mm-hmm. he he's not an asshole like me and Nick. Yeah. Um, (laughs) back in the present day Jason says that he stayed with her until the end he says it all turned into a nightmare but he wouldn't give up one moment that he spent with her I was like even the demon bits toward the end yeah I'd probably give that part up you don't need to keep those those were decidedly not pizza (laughs) not even a little bit (laughs) but he says that she opened him up to things that he didn't know he could feel 
mostly unparalleled fear, I would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) But he says he didn't realize how dead he was inside until he met her. So he was in love. Until I met someone who was actually dead inside. (laughs) (laughs) And then by comparison, I was like, God damn. You know, I'm fine. Not doing too bad. Well, wait, though. Didn't she write the letter saying that she had met him before? So she's then they've been talking for a little while, at least, right? Well, I would imagine not very long because she's barely been at the university. Oh, you're right. No, you're right. But I mean, long enough to where he's basically in love. Yeah. It's the Prince of Darkness treatment. I guess so. (laughs) When you know, you know. You bring the devil into some shit. You fall in love in five minutes. It really heightens the emotions. I guess so. Satan is the best. Uh, uh, he's really bringing people together. Wingman. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like he gets a really bad rap. Yeah. He's like, you know how many couples I've started? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all possession this. Fucking. <laughs> you only see what you want to see. Fucking hell and torture that. <laughs> so what is this, an interview with the devil? Yeah, I don't know. It's just he's his just eyes there with are the blocked coffee. out. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God, but... Later at the sidebar, Aaron enjoys a martini as news about her previous client, James Van Hopper, comes on the television. As the bartender turns it up, we hear that Van Hopper has struck again, murdering a young couple this afternoon. Bitch, I'll never forgive you for this. <laughs> no. Good luck. No. Uh, that's got to be, and I'm sure this is a whole separate conversation, but defense attorneys, like mm-hmm. that's got to be something that they have to deal with yeah and that's what i wanted to be when i was a kid oh yeah you just wanted to get in good with the bad guys like richard gear in the fantastic film primal Primal fear Fear. see fantastic movie it really was but basing our lives off (laughs) (laughs) i will say it sucks i feel bad for defense attorneys because they're literally just doing their job yeah except for jose baez i do not feel bad for him he was doing more than his job (laughs) Casey Anthony. Now, the <laughs> allegedly, 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 allegedly. Please don't sue. Please don't sue. I, my life's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the camera presses in on Aaron's face as tears begin to fill her eyes, very clearly uneasy at the role that she played in his acquittal. We see her rush to the bathroom, loitering around for a moment before turning on the faucet. A woman busts out of one of the stalls and washes her hands, and then Aaron just leaves the restroom shortly after. It was weird. I don't know how yeah. necessary that was, or if we were supposed to expect a fucking actual demon to walk out of the stall. Oh, Probably. because, I mean, they have to use doors. <laughs> Maybe they have to poop as well. I'm going to be honest. I think a demon taking a shit doesn't <laughs> wash their hands. <laughs> <laughs> That's just my personal idea. But at her apartment that night, Aaron sleeps, turning her head toward her alarm clock as we see the time, of course, reach 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. Aaron immediately wakes up, stepping out of bed and creeping down the long hallway into the dark. When she reaches her kitchen, she turns on the light looking around and then looking at the smoke detector. So she clearly smells Mm -hmm. like Emily did. She then checks her stove as well, but nothing is amiss. We hear the sound of a clock ticking in the room and she looks around confused. Suddenly, the ticking stops and the kitchen light goes out on its own. Rather than run the fuck out of there, yep. which is what I think we all would do. Yes. Aaron pours herself a glass of water because I guess all of this weirdness has been caused by dehydration. Well, <laughs> Stay hydrated. She's probably going to throw it in her face. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you power That's up. That's the yeah. fastest way to hydrate. We learned that. Thank you, Mrs. Olson. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> but as she takes a sip, she hears a door behind her slowly creak open. She sets the glass on the sink, crooked, and it falls off, shattering to the floor. Now, he did warn her. He did it late. 
He but did. He warned he her. Like, <laughs> He's like, now, by the way, yeah. that's demons really, are going to want that ass. Really <laughs> a conversation he should have had with her on their first yeah, meeting. Probably. I didn't even think about that. Now, you need to know what you're getting yeah. yourself into. If you're certain. Yeah. yeah. But she sees that her front door is not only unlocked, but it's wide open. She rushes to close and lock it, peering out the peephole, but sees nothing. She then retreats back to her bed and tries to fall asleep. See, I'm telling you, letting themselves in through yeah. a door. It's yeah. They're respecting our laws, and one of our laws or the, is we or, gotta poop yeah. or property. We gotta poop. I, that one was a demon in the bathroom. Oh, you really think so? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, man, this shit's crazy. Right, shit's getting nuts around here, huh? <laughs> tentacles on your face. See you later. <laughs> Why are you covered in beetles? Yeah. Hey, you know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're not gonna like it. But I, I just want to say this is extremely effective for me. I do see there is kind of in the hallway whenever she's in the kitchen. Yeah. If you follow the rule of thirds, right where your eye is drawn, almost looks like a hooded figure. Huh. But I can't tell if it was intentional. Right. Or if it was just something that's supposed to catch your eye and you're supposed to wonder what it is. Yeah. yeah all right. Did you guys notice it? I didn't. Uh, I didn't. We'll watch it on break. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll uh, kind of see because it kind of, I, I just couldn't tell. But at the jail, we glide over to Father Moore's cell who is sleeping on his back. After hearing some noises and whispering, he gets up and approaches the bars to look out. A robed figure slowly creeps by, and Father Moore immediately bows his head in prayer, clinching the bars. When he completes his prayer, the figure is gone. We also hear whispers of someone counting to six, uh-huh. which comes up a lot. The demon was like, all right, all yeah. right. <laughs> I'll chill. I see you're armed and dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to point out that the editor of this film is the same person that edited The Grudge. Oh, and the composer of this film is the same composer of The Grudge, (laughs) also composed Hellraiser and would go on to compose Sinister. Nice. Oh, cool. If you remember Christopher Young. But Derrickson got both of them from their work from The Grudge because he considered the scares to be very effective. Nice. He said he didn't like the plot of the movie. (laughs) I'm like, why are you talking shit? Right. But the next day in court, Aaron arrives 17 minutes late and gets scolded by the judge. Is the insinuation here that she was up all night, so she's late? Well, what she says later to Father Moore is that her power went out mm-hmm. and her alarm didn't oh, work. Oh, okay, yeah. that's right. But I mean, I understand. Look, I understand punctuality, and this is just a random aside. I don't know if you've ever watched court shows or coverage, but the egos on some judges is yeah. fucking unbelievable. But that's another reason why I brought that up because, like I said, judges, like I get it, you put in your time, you whatever, but uh-huh. it's like they are like, I'm supreme being. And it's like, are you? It's like, well, I I'm the supreme. I well, think, yeah, it's fucking AHS. <laughs> but I mean, I think that they they demand respect because they're in charge of the proceedings, but also some judges, you fucking sneeze, they're like, 30 days contempt. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> You're like, I don't know that you can do that. I yeah. have allergies. Yeah. But there is, I mean, there's also a governing body above them that can discipline them. Right. So they're not all powerful. Yeah. It's an odd system. Mm. An odd, yeah. broken system. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but the trial continues with Dr. Briggs, played by Henry Zerny, recounting his entire CV full of medical degrees and publications in neurology and psychiatry. I saw in the legal eagle that this is what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Like when you recount all of your experience, it only endears you to the jury to prove that you're not talking out of your ass. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
But Ethan asks him about Emily's cause of death, which Briggs says was a result of gradual shutdown of her bodily functions, which was caused by numerous physical traumas exacerbated by malnutrition. So this is also in line with Annalise Michelle. Right. Her cause of death. Yeah. But when asked how Emily got these injuries, Briggs explains that some of them were caused by violent seizures, while others were self-inflicted, which he concludes happened because her epilepsy evolved into a condition that he calls psychotic epileptic disorder. That that you call. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And Ethan's like, holy dog, because yeah. this fits <laughs> this, this is perfect. Fits shit. Perfect. <laughs> but he asks what symptoms this disorder would take on. I do want to point out that in this scene, there is a large photo of Emily's dead body. Right. Yeah. And I heard that they had to change the colors on it to appease the MPAA. <laughs> they were like, this movie is too scary, Carl. What? Yeah. We, that's what we want. Yeah. yeah. You go to a scary movie to get scared. I. But this movie is PG-13. Why? I don't know. But I mean, and honestly, it's scary on its own like yeah it is but that's something that's so like nitpicky like that's annoying yeah they were gonna give it an r rating for that that's it for part partly because of that and partly because of some faces and movements that jennifer carpenter makes they said that that's uh, that's an r rating (laughs) movement she's scary as fuck you see the way she screams (laughs) i piss my shit (laughs) 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 they they use the bathroom so hard on themselves If you're going to make it R, <laughs> fuck it. Might as well throw some extra shit in there. Yeah, they didn't know what was yeah. going on. <laughs> I pissed I my shit. It's going to be a new thing. That's it. But Everybody as- else go home. That's it. <laughs> but as we see Emily's horrific night of the demons from earlier, this time, though, without the demons, Briggs explains that the condition would have symptomatic similarities with schizophrenia, including auditory and visual hallucinations, and then adding in the seizures, that would cause the locking of the joints and the body contortions that we saw and that Emily experienced. Now, with these flashbacks, we don't see these demonic faces. Mm-hmm. We just see her staring at the window, right. all normal, but also the lights, remember the orange lights I yeah, said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're gone. Well, of course. So it's very interesting to see these scenes again through a different lens. Right. I appreciate that aspect of it so much that I wish we would have gotten more. Mm -hmm. I agree. But Briggs also says that her pupils would have dilated, making her eyes appear black. Briggs says that all of this could have been controlled by Gambutrol if she continued her treatment. And if she took it, she would still be alive today. In the real case of Annalise Michelle, didn't wasn't she still on her medication up until her death? I believe so. It was a different medication. Well, it, yeah, it's not Gambutrol. I feel like that's made up. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I probably uh, should have looked that up. Yeah, but I feel like them saying that she stopped taking it does give a little more credibility to that it could be a medical situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I also just wanted to point out that in real life, she was still taking her shit. Right. Which is is interesting. I do want to say that there is a point in the film where she stops taking the medication. But at this point in the film, it's a little ambiguous Uh because they just say she stopped taking it. Yeah. Yeah. And we do see her taking the medication while she's still on campus later. Yeah. Later on, we do. You're right. So I think that they should have been a little more clear when she stopped taking it now. Yeah. Because later on, when something does happen, they say that she was still on her medication when this happened. Yeah. So it is in line with the case, the real case. 
but the film is like when did she stop taking it oh yeah but but we're doubling down that the priest told her to stop yes, taking I it I guess that's what the yeah, that's, that's, we don't know we don't know when no yeah. that's what we're supposed to be taking away okay is right. that father Moore killed her yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know this doesn't have anything really to do with the movie, but it kind of reminded me. <laughs> well, I was I was reading. I can't remember what it was. It was a, a, a science thing written. Um, but before we were always told we can't control our pupils. Well, they this guy came and was like, I can I can. Uh-huh. And he did like he can make his pupils big and small as he just when he wants is it like the titty bounce and they were like what the fuck okay i thought (laughs) i I have got to be honest when you said this guy came up i thought you just saw a guy in the street no 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 no. well they i know you've probably read (laughs) no they interviewed him and did a whole thing and i was like holy shit so it's like a specific skill that he has right kind of like a muscle okay so i mean you're saying that she could have tapped into something like that that is that is very interesting but i do want to point out that what was seen was not dilated pupils no your pupils don't dilate to your entire i do also want to point out that jason did not see that happen oh his Mm. her back was to him when it happened yeah so if he's trying to go off on some bullshit and then i saw her eye her eyes were all fucking blind you did not see that it was also very dark i don't nay i'm looking at you right now i don't know how big your fucking pupils are (laughs) (laughs) i don't know and we have brown eyes so it just makes it even harder and so does she it's all bullshit dude (laughs) so jason's a liar yeah so that's what we've confirmed but on cross-examination Aaron asks how he knows Gambitrol would have helped considering Emily was experiencing psychosis after she was taking the medication. Briggs says that Gambitrol takes a cumulative effect and has to build up in the system, but admits that he doesn't know for certain that it would have helped. It seems like the second you get asked one question, the doctors don't know anything. I, I don't know. But again, that's to them. Yeah, they, you know, the prosecution probably brought him in to testify for them, but then now you can't lie. Right. So if the defense is coming in like, really and you have there to you be are. cross-examined yeah and the the difficulty about cross-examination is that you're only allowed to ask questions germane to the questions that were asked by the first lawyer right and so anything that ethan got out of him is fair game right so if you're gonna say gambitrol did this shit we're so about to find out yeah. about gambitrol. it's your own fault yeah but this is when aaron asks if he literally made up the term psychotic epileptic disorder and he's like oh yeah i did He's like, listen, I'm sure someone has put those words together at some point. If you Google them in quotation marks, I bet you'll find it. It may be this movie. But that that does really take the steam out of your entire testimony. Ethan's fucking ripping up papers on his side. He's not, but he should have been. stomping on his (laughs) ass. But Briggs says in his opinion, though, he would have tranquilized her, force fed her, and then treated her with electroshock therapy. Now... And I know it sounds like he's like, you know, I just would have done a little torture. It's no yeah. <laughs> But the jury is obviously like, God damn. Yeah. But the reality is, I, I bet medically this possibly is the right way to go. Yeah. The electroshock thing always yeah. seemed like bullshit to me. I don't understand how that was ever a thing. And I know that it is still a thing. I, they still do that. It feels like it should not be medicine. Yeah. But I understand. It feels like it should be medicine in the House on Haunted Hill hospital. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Vanneket <laughs> does this shit. Yeah. But I feel like. When she gets to this point, sedating her and hooking her up to an IV seems fine. Yeah. Yeah, the demon would just get bored and leave. He's like, I'm not hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after the proceedings end for the day, Aaron apologizes to Father Moore for being late, blaming a power outage for knocking out her alarm clock. Right. 
Father Moore is like, no, it's demons. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's trying to warn you again. <laughs> like he, but for me, if I'm her, I don't believe in any of that stuff, and so I'd be like, we need to focus on the case. If you say demons one more time, I'm out. <laughs> you're, I'm a, you don't get you're to on your own. <laughs> yeah, that violates our deal. But he tells her not to let the dark forces get to her. She tells him that case-wise, they're doing fine. And then immediately after he walks off, she tells Ray, her colleague played by J.R. Bourne, that they need to find a doctor to testify that Emily wasn't epileptic or schizophrenic or they're fucked. I mean, well, it yeah. does not look good. Oh, not at all. Um, And also all this dude, every time I see him, I just think of 13 Ghosts. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very important scene in that movie yeah. that he well, plays a huge part in. He was a lawyer in that movie too. He was. Yeah, he was. Everyone's getting typecast. Yeah. But that night at the library, Ray brings Aaron a giant stack of books about demonic possession to help her with her research, but he also brings bad news. The psychiatrist she wanted as a witness is tied up in another trial, and the neurologist that she wanted is headed outside the country, I guess, on vacation. Mm -hmm. But after shrugging off some non-PC bullshit from Ray... Aaron reads about contemporary exorcisms in other countries, saying that instead of continuing to argue medicine, maybe they should try to validate the idea of possession as a whole. Seeing as an anthropologist who wrote the book she's reading approaches exorcism scientifically, Aaron thinks she'd be the perfect person to bring in for the trial, so she tasks Ray with contacting her. I like this. Let's make this, you know, let's let's bring this to the jury. Well, because the other way that they were yeah. trying is not... It's not working. No, when they're literally just like, well, the drug, you said it worked, but it didn't. Yeah. Like, it's not. No, yeah. The jury's like, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> Are they Ralph? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but she says to keep looking for a doctor to counter Briggs's testimony, but to get the anthropologist on board and immediately. So again, as we said at the beginning, it was at this point that I'm like, God damn, why couldn't The Conjuring 3 have been this? Yeah, no, that's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. That's all I wanted. I I am still very annoyed. I know a lot of people liked it. Don't be mad, please. It was fine. Yeah. It just it wasn't what it could have been. And it was the worst of the three. Oh well, I'll, okay, I'll give you that. Yeah. But uh, I was laughing because she's like, we instead of poking holes, we can just try to validate this. Uh -huh. And I'm like, she shows up to court in a nun's habit tomorrow. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Father Moore's like, finally, you're taking it seriously. <laughs> But the next day in court, Aaron presents an alternative argument to the jury. Perhaps medical treatment wasn't what could have helped Emily. Aaron posits that if Emily didn't suffer from psychosis or epilepsy, it's possible she truly suffered from demonic possession and that an exorcism was the only cure. As soon as the crowd is like, come, come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> she tries to meet them halfway. You don't have to believe in this stuff, but after the failure of the doctors, it's possible Father Moore tried to help her in a way that she and her family believed could cure her. But the real purpose is to demonstrate that after all he did, there was nothing Father Moore could have done to prevent her death. We then transition back to the past, with Emily sitting with Jason in the cafeteria. She pops a couple Gambutrol and looks completely zonked. Mm-hmm. She also refuses to eat, which might be because, you know, she's got a belly full of demons. Right. She's full. <laughs> <laughs> but she looks around at everyone. The endless chatter, their disgusting noises of drinking and eating amplified to honestly nauseating levels. Even I was like, okay, that's enough. No, it was nasty. Yeah, I did not like that. I was not at a fan. All. I think there's a condition, like an actual condition yeah, that, uh, that with people chewing. Yeah, yeah. That really gets to people. But she covers her ears in distress. 
But back in court, Jason explains that Emily would complain about the noises, and she said that even though she was hungry, they wouldn't let her eat. The forces that were inside of her, the demons. So see, belly full of demons. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But he explains that he walked her back to her dorm later that night, and she seemed scared, so he stayed with her and eventually fell asleep. We flash back to that night, and as Jason wakes up, he realizes he's in bed alone. He looks down to the floor and he recoils in fear as we see Emily's twisted body, her head cocked back, staring right at Jason. It's horrifying. It is. Yeah, that would suck. She's not blinking. No. Her eyes are just wide open, probably black pupils. We can't tell. It's very dark. (laughs) (laughs) But he slowly makes his way over to her and she just stares at him, not responding. As soon as he gets close, she lets out a low demonic howl. We then transition to a shot of Jason arriving at the Rose Farm, a full moon hanging massive above his car. Now, I do want to point out that when her body is contorted like that, Mm -hmm. it's a puppet. Oh, it looked good. It looks very good. This is one of the scenes where she did not contort herself. Well, good, because that's a lot. (laughs) I'm concerned. (laughs) But I do want to say that the transition with the moon, like we... She's screaming. Yeah. But the moon appears in her mouth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that was it a was choice. An odd choice. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that too. I was like, okay. Like, that's interesting. I yeah. laughed. I'm like, I don't think that's what they wanted me to do. Yeah. But Jason explains that he called Nathaniel and Nathaniel told him to bring Emily home. Then we switch to Nathaniel on the stand who says Emily stayed home after that incident and things just got worse. When she didn't improve, that's when they brought in Father Moore. And the night he arrived, Nathaniel says that he sent his daughter, Alice, to see if Emily was awake. Now, we flash back to that night. Mm -hmm. But I got to say, your daughter is literally full of demons. Yeah. And you send your younger daughter. That's what I was thinking. That's fucked up. He was just scared. Yeah. (laughs) Why don't you go check? (laughs) Emily's upstairs. You know where that is, right? Like She didn't even have a name. So That's true. No, she's the only one that had a name. Oh, that's right. It's Alice. Yeah. That's true. Wow. They're like, well, we could send uh, Emily's sister too, but (laughs) she's scared shitless. I don't know. I just was very annoyed by his (laughs) shitty fucking parenting. But we see Alice cautiously making her way down the hall, calling out to Emily and knocking on the door. We then hear Emily struggling to get out the Lord's Prayer. Alice opens the door to find Emily crouched on the ground with her back to her. As Emily mutters, give us this, our daily bread, we notice that she has amassed a large collection of dead bugs and just starts snacking on a spider. Yeah. I'll come back later. <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're busy. clearly busy. Uh, that's, I'm intruding. Yeah. Enjoy None of my your business. Meal. <laughs> Enjoy your meal. Bon appetit. <laughs> <laughs> but Alice screams and Emily responds with a silent scream then a much louder, longer, and more powerful scream. This scream goes on forever. It does. Yeah. And Derrickson said that she did this. <laughs> Damn. She's a fucking beast, yeah. man. It's unbelievable. I'm surprised. I know she was in quarantine that she doesn't, that she hasn't done more horror. Yeah. Yeah. Cause she's great. Yeah. Maybe she's afraid of getting typecast. Well, yeah. Cause I would just, okay, you're possessed. Can you yeah. scream all the yeah. time? <laughs> But Emily scratches at the walls, fucking jumps onto her knees and off like she's trying to kneel. But the demon's like, nope. (laughs) Just pushing her back up. She's like, okay, let me try again. But this is when Nathaniel and Father Moore rush in and Emily starts tearing out her own hair and they wrestle her to the ground. She then has a raging case of the Jimmy legs, but they finally (laughs) settle her down. As soon as they do, though, she starts speaking in a foreign language. 
her spine crackling as she turns her head away from them. The two men then pick her up, and she is light as a feather, stiff as a board. (laughs) Still speaking in a foreign language, Emily says, I am the one who dwells within. Father Moore says that he's here in the name of the Lord, and Emily asks, you think you can force me out, priest? Try. I dare you. (laughs) <laughs> then she collapses to the floor and her yeah. father just lets her fall well he's like oh shit <laughs> she, i mean she's just talking shit yeah well yeah well i mean demons are kind of into yeah. that yeah. that's like, kind of their thing with the ashy ass lips <laughs> <laughs> father Moore's like that's ju- I'm yeah, out. Yeah. I, I can't that's unacceptable it's just fucking rude it's like on sunny when she called dennis baby dick <laughs> he's like so i'm gone that's it <laughs> we all have a line yes okay but she scratches at the priest's face and the scene just ends. She didn't need to do that. No. That was petty as fuck. That is, again... Shit had happened. Everything calmed down. And she's like, ha! Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? She couldn't have just been collapsed? Yeah. No, we, she wasn't done. But in the immediate next scene, apparently offended, we see Father Moore leaving the house. <laughs> well... Emily stands at the window very creepily, and as he walks by the window, Emily sits down at the piano and begins to play Rachmaninoff's Prelude in C minor. So this, to me, is almost like Room 1408. We've only just begun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Also, there was a very nice purple light coming out of the door. Yeah. I, <laughs> Just had to point that out. I, I was like, here's some farewell music. Yeah. Right. Let like, me play you out. Yeah. Here's your outro, because you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> But this is when Ethan cross-examines Nathaniel in court. He asks if Nathaniel reads the Bible, which he knows he does. Then asks if he reads the DSM, which, come on, man. Yeah. Nobody reads the DSM. I read I did it for read college. It, I read it for fun. Well, yeah. I read dad's copy, but come on. Thanks to the DSM, though, Ethan explains that Emily's lack of eating are an indicator of anorexia and the locking up of her joints and body are a symptom of psychosis. She was eating. Yeah. Though. Yeah, that is true. And that's protein. Yeah. Yeah. People do fry. Yeah. Tarantulas I mean, she and eat them. was going the sushi route well, with yeah. spiders, I mean, but I didn't see any rice and shit. Yeah. <laughs> she was it's like, eating. I'm eating spider oh, nigiri. Right. <laughs> Where's the seaweed? Yeah. But he then asks if Nathaniel has ever visited an asylum, and he says that he has, and that his aunt was in one before she died confirming his family has a history of mental yep. illness. Aaron's like, God damn it. Yep. Yeah. Honestly, this is the issue with putting people on the stand is once cross starts, you have no control. Yeah. Nope. And he literally just gave up something he should not have. Yeah. Well, well my aunt was in a mental hospital. It's like, Oh really? Oh, you know, yeah. My aunt also liked to eat spiders. Maybe Interesting. she, <laughs> maybe she, <laughs> got, she that. got that. From her. Maybe she learned the recipe from my aunt. <laughs> the recipe. <laughs> But considering what he saw that night, Ethan asked if it could simply be mental illness that caused it, but Nathaniel says it didn't feel like that to him or Father Moore. It's very funny because in the... Well, not funny because it's very tragic. Yeah. But in the real case, the father involved in that, he rocked up on the spot and he's like, well, this doesn't feel like epilepsy. It's like, what the fuck do you know, <laughs> Thank dude? Thank you, doctor. Thank you. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, father doctor. Father doctor. But I like that they're bringing that in here a little bit. Although they are painting Father Moore in a very, very generous light. Yeah. Very much so. That's why I'm like, it's very skewed. Oh, yeah. Like, you know what they want us to think. Mm-hmm. And like, you remember that movie Doubt? Yeah. Where it was like, did the priest do it? And only Philip Seymour Hoffman knew if the priest yeah. did it. I would have appreciated something like that. 
a where little more ambiguity. Only the demon knows if it was really. <laughs> no, I'm just well, he was called only, to the stand. <laughs> only, you know, we don't know. No, but this is like not was demons. Yeah. Like we're gonna play with maybe it was some medical shit, but not was demons. And then we're gonna make everyone who thinks it wasn't demons a fucking You're an asshole. asshole. <laughs> yeah. But after Nathaniel says he trusts Father Moore, he says that after that night, Emily was entirely in Father Moore's care because they had exhausted all options. After Nathaniel steps down from the stand, Aaron calls Dr. Sadira Adani, the anthropology professor played by Sheree Agdashalu. After questions about her educational history, Adani explains her expertise is studying spiritual experiences of other cultures, as well as the physiological and psychological changes that people undergo during these experiences. Literally the perfect witness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She then explains that in her field, she's seen numerous people who believed they were being invaded by supernatural entities. She says based on Emily's case file, she thinks Emily was hypersensitive, which means she had an unusual connection to something that she calls the separate reality, which allowed her to be more susceptible to possession. The further. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we should get Elise, Elise Rayner called to the stand. But this is when Ethan calls objection. Yeah. The judge is like, but why though? Ethan's like, how about silliness? <laughs> but it's not. Just just objection. Yeah, just just a just a blanket that's, objection. That's the issue, is that again, he looks like an asshole. Yeah. Because now you're talking shit about other cultures. Yeah. But the judge calls him and Aaron to the bench for a sidebar, with Aaron arguing that Adani's expertise is extremely relevant. Ethan's like, well, why don't we bring up a witch doctor and have him go through some monkey bones while we're at it? I'm like, why don't you go fuck yourself, yeah. Ethan? First of all, that was very offensive. Yeah. Very offensive. Secondly, I love when the judge calls them up to the bench because it's like two kids getting in yeah. trouble. Yeah. <laughs> like, God damn it, we stepped out of bounds. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing for me is that I agree with the medical arguments being made on Ethan's behalf. Mm hmm. But then they have to have him saying stupid shit like this. Yeah. It's like you have to see the other side. Yeah. yeah. Like, of course, you're going to win your case if you only hear my argument yeah. for it. And then it's like, oh, well, no, he's also racist. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what? Let's toss that little cherry on top. I don't agree with that part, but <laughs> the science is good. But the judge decides to allow the testimony as a counterbalance to the medical testimony they've been hearing the entire trial, and Ethan is fucking pissed. It's only fair. Yeah. It is only fair. On the legal eagle, they said that it's on the line as to whether or not they would allow this testimony. It makes sense because it fits the argument of the defense. Yeah. But at the same time, this is really all speculative. Even though it's 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 about her research and everything right. yeah they can't say for certain what emily was thinking or feeling because she's not here well no but i mean we're talking about i was gonna say we're talking about a man's life but <laughs> not really but i mean we are talking about sending a priest to jail if i'm just saying in in my courtroom okay judge renee would allow it that's all i'm saying objection <laughs> <laughs> i just don't... i need a court show <laughs> Nate, you have no legal <laughs> yeah, yeah, <I> <laughs> expertise at all. Your sentences mean nothing. They have to go to a real court after. <laughs> but can the judge watch my show before she tries them? She's like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> this means nothing to me. I am an actual judge. <laughs> in my courtroom, we have like the reality TV confessionals in the back. Oh, is that right? God. I'm down. Like, let's make this happen. <laughs> You Why bring, do you both look upset? You bring me on as a producer and we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I just don't see the harm in letting her testify. I get it. Oh, coming back to reality. Yes, uh, I I agree. uh, I would allow it. I think it's understandable that they allow it. But at the same time, when we're arguing, you want to know why it's okay that they're allowing it? Mm -hmm. Because Ethan has been made out to be such an asshole Uh that we're glad to see him lose a little. Something, Yeah. yeah. But in reality, if we're in court and I'm on a jury... I am disregarding this entire testimony. But really? why? Because it doesn't make logical sense. It has nothing to do with the negligent death. What she believed is fine. That's up to her. That's up to Father Moore. But his negligence led to her death. I mean, uh, yes and no. Because, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. There was some study that proved that hyper-religiosity can mess with the brain i want to say it was the temporal lobe like there was a reaction and i totally it's like i feel like that is definitely a factor i yeah she's dead and it kind of doesn't it doesn't matter how she died but it does i think my thing is that even if this is what emily believed was happening i think it's totally fine to stage that exorcism but the second it comes a matter of life and death, you're a fucking priest. You're not a doctor. You need to take her to a hospital. But they did. And she was on medicine and, and nothing has been working. But nothing has been working in this film. Well, they, I mean, they wrote it not to work. Well, no, yeah, I know. But I'm saying if this if it was if this was a real life scenario and one of one of the kids was taking medicine for something and they're like, well, she might or he might be sick, but we don't know. Take this anyway. What? And shit's still going on? I mean, if I'm that religious, I probably would go to the church too. help. She is on medication, but I I don't know what to do anymore. That's what I'm saying. It's we're on trial for, for negligent right. for negligent homicide. Uh-huh. And if he's there and he's trying to do what they think, and I'm not saying that I support this because no. No, but if he's there and he's doing what in their religion and in their beliefs is treatment for her, that's not negligent. It's not negligent. I think it is negligent when it gets to the point that she's starving to death and we're like, well, let's just keep her in the room. I mean, she can't make decisions on her own, but let's uh, throw some water at her. Just give her some more spiders, man. Like, that's the one thing <laughs> she's keeping go. down. Yeah. That's the one thing she's keeping down. <laughs> but it is food. If it works, it works. It is. And they did sound, they yeah. did sound crispy. <laughs> I think that's the deciding factor. We're not having spiders for lunch. Did you say spider with gravy? Yeah. <laughs> I'd prefer a dipping sauce, but. <laughs> ranch? I hate ranch. Ew. But honey mustard? Well, we're talk. <laughs> what what uh dipping sauce do y'all like with your spiders sound off in the comments <laughs> <laughs> tweet us at the pod mortem hey those crickets and ants weren't that bad the ants were terrible the crickets were delicious the ants yeah they weren't as good as the crickets the crickets were good the crickets were pretty good yeah but as Aaron continues her line of questioning <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with us today i don't know adani explains that emily's exorcism failed because of the medical treatment specifically her use of gambutrol She says an exorcism works because it's able to separate the person from their possession experience inside the brain, but the Gambutrol she took made her immune to the shock that the exorcism is intended to create. This effectively locked her in the state of possession, unable to be exorcised, causing her death. So exorcisms are just supposed to like shock. It's like scaring somebody with hiccups. Yeah, you just shout boo and the demon's gone. I think it... 
once you create a solution in your mind, it's possible that the mind is powerful enough For to sure. allow yeah. that solution to work. Definitely. So the argument makes sense. Yeah. I don't think that her not being exercised caused her death. I think that's a leap. It's I think a reach. What, I think what caused her death is malnutrition and Father Moore sitting on his ass, not taking her to the hospital. He wasn't sitting on his ass. He was praying. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> sitting on his ass. <laughs> he was sitting while praying. <laughs> Um, before we move on real quick, I love this lady. I love her voice. I can listen to her talk for the rest of my life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, she also did a character on destiny Hmm. and I love it. She's not there anymore. (laughs) Spoilers. If you play destiny or plan on it, it's an old game. It's been out for a long time. (laughs) Um, but I, I love this woman. I think she does such a great job and her performance allows this to be believable. Yes. Yes. And I think I, I heard on the commentary, Derrickson said that as soon as he wrote this part, he wanted her for it. Well, she she does it yeah. perfectly. But later outside the courthouse, Ray runs up to Aaron with great news. He's found a doctor who wants to testify. But not only that, he was actually there that night. Like, wait, what? How yeah. mad would you be? I'd be I'd be furious. <laughs> Why the hell Jeez, did you not tell yeah. me this? Even if you're just like, look, I can't or I'm not supposed to say something, but... Your life is on the yeah. line. Yeah. This has no, nothing to not. do with me. Well, <laughs> we keep saying I know that. we keep doing that. <laughs> uh, we're trying to up the stakes for some reason. The death penalty is on. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. But his name is Dr. Graham Cartwright of the Department of Abnormal Psychiatry. So Aaron heads back inside to confront Father Moore, who admits that Dr. Cartwright was there. She asks how he couldn't have told her a doctor was there for the exorcism. And the priest says that he promised to keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, God, dude, I, your life is on the line. What the fuck are you doing, <laughs> dude? That's what I'm, well, he did say earlier he didn't care as long as he could tell the story. But yeah. I mean... What surprises me more than anything is that Aaron seems to accept this. Yeah. I mean, I guess priests, you know, technically probably aren't supposed to lie. I hope they're not I lying. Would hope. Yeah. Did he pinky promise? Because then I understand. That's legally binding. That's legally yeah. binding. <laughs> But in the next scene, we see Aaron meeting with Dr. Cartwright, played by Duncan Fraser, in a park. He's feeding a ton of pigeons as she walks up, and he says that he recognizes her from the courtroom drawings on the news, but says that she's much prettier in real life. Yeah, that was weird. You look very pretty today. <laughs> Is he been, Get away from yeah. him! He's got a shrimp in him! <laughs> <laughs> but Aaron sits down next to him, and he tells her that she's losing. He says he wished Father Moore wouldn't need him, but he does not want to see him go to prison. As it turns out, Cartwright was a parishioner of Father Moore's at St. Vincent's Church some years ago and hadn't even talked to him in years, but then suddenly gets a phone call from him. Father Moore wanted a medical perspective from a psychiatrist that he knew and trusted so that he could monitor Emily's physical and mental state during the... And then he stops, but Aaron finishes his sentence... During the exorcism. Mm -hmm. This is when all the birds fly away. They're like, oh, no. I don't want to talk about that. I want no parts of this. (laughs) It made me think (laughs) of Candyman when she's like, "Mm -mm, don't (laughs) Don't don't say that. But Aaron asks if he can help their case, and Cartwright puts it bluntly. Emily was not epileptic, schizophrenic, or any combination of those. He's an expert on those conditions, but he says what he saw that night scared him, and that if he knew what Father Moore had dragged him into, he never would have shown up. He says he examined Emily that night, and when the demon wasn't in control, she was totally normal and aware of what was going on, which is completely contradictory to a diagnosis of psychosis. As they put it simply, crazy people don't know they're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 
She asks if he'll testify, and he tells her to send him the case files and tell him when to be in court. She thanks him, very relieved, but then Cartwright whips out a tape recorder from his pocket and says that Father Moore told him to take care of it. He gives it to her, though, and says that it's her problem now. Thank you, doctor. Um, (laughs) I'm just glad he's going to testify because this changes the entire case. Oh, yeah, because not only do you have a witness that was there that night, you have an authority. Yeah, Yeah. everything hangs on this testimony. So I'm glad he's going. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. But before he leaves, she asks if he was asked to give Emily any medical help. He says Fathermore was trying to keep her from injuring herself and trying to get her to eat, but he said as a doctor, there was nothing he could do to help Emily. As a doctor? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there was, there was nothing? nothing? You want to know something that I could do as not a doctor? Put her ass in a car and drive her to a hospital. But what do I know? What? Well, the only way... The way I took it was like, maybe he's like, I, I don't know what to do. You don't he's have like, any symptoms of anything I've seen or I've never seen this before. I don't know what I'm supposed to fucking do. He's like, look, she was scary as fuck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there, I was scared. Yeah. Was terrified. <laughs> There's not a chapter in his book about demons. Yeah. Where is this again? Yeah. <laughs> he was sick that day in med school. Yeah. <laughs> but in the next scene, Aaron tells Father Moore the great news that Cartwright is going to testify. He's like, when the hell do I get to testify? He says what matters most is Emily's story, which only he can tell. He then brings the party way down, asking if she's thought about what he said earlier about demonic attacks. (laughs) She sits next to him and says that she has. She says the day when Briggs testified, it really messed her up, so she went for a walk to clear her head. We then see her walking through the snow as she says she wondered what it would mean if demons actually existed. This is the part where it's like all white. Yeah, even she's wearing all she's white. She's wearing yeah. all white. It's snowing. She's the sky dressed, is white. She's dressed yeah. as a snowman. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's over overkill. Yeah. Very, very white. But as she continued to walk, she noticed something on the ground. A gold locket with the initials ECB engraved on it. Her initials. Aaron Christine <laughs> Bruner. I'm not going to lie. I'm joking. I live for shit like that. Oh, yeah. Like, I would lose my shit if I found that. With well, good cause. Well, yeah. But I, I I was like, is this really, is this for real? I was like, I, but in my mind, I'm like, where uh, Erica Celeste Baker is like, my locket. <laughs> 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 oh, shit. I dropped it. <laughs> I, I think it's funny because at this point, part of me thought she was lying. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I was like, is this, is she telling the truth? Is she being. I was like, I don't under- I don't know what's happening. Is she just trying to calm him? Yeah. And like connect or what? Because I didn't, part of me didn't believe this story at this point. I did because I feel like, I don't know. They haven't made, if they had spent a little more time developing like a calculating side to her, that would have been an interesting, she's like, look, there was no fucking locket. Okay. <laughs> well, like that would have been interesting. But no, I mean, yeah, she was calculating because she got a murderer off, but now he did it again and she's all tore up and she's, you know, fighting demons in her apartment at three in the morning. <laughs> like, I feel like she's completely ate up. I don't see her lying about this. But dude told her not to let him take the stand and immediately when she went to talk, she was like, sure you can. That's what I'm saying. So we're, we're It feels like it was set up to see, well, who's going to win over right. this, this calculating woman who's trying to climb the ladder. No, she was never that from day one. <laughs> I'm not taking a deal. You got it, boss. You want to be on the stand? Uh, You got it. It's like, wait. Well, I think it's a little 
muddled because she is presented as that calculating person. Yeah. Yes, but it's gone the second she meets yeah. this priest. He's powerful. I would have liked a, a little more, <laughs> a little more push pull with that. That's uh-huh. all I'm saying. But Aaron says that this locket could be a sign or it could be an incredible coincidence. But either way, it made her feel like she was where she was meant to be. Father Moore says that she sounds more like a mystic than an agnostic and tells her that she should actually wear the locket. Now, this locket story was inspired by a true story. Two of them, actually. One of them involving a tie clip with initials on it. Wow. The other one was, I guess, Derrickson was on his way to teach a class about films of Akira Kurosawa, and he was carrying his favorite Kurosawa film that involved a dying man. Mm -hmm. As he's walking into class, he gets a call from his brother that his father passed away. (gasps) Oh, wow. And so he connected it in his mind. Basically, this situation, he, in his head, was comforted by him holding his favorite film about this subject when he heard the news but it's also exactly what Aaron is going through with yeah. what went through his head. That's really sad. So very sad, but very understandable. Yeah. yeah. But after this moment of connection, she admits that the archdiocese does not want him to testify and wants her to talk him out of it, but she's not going to try. She thinks that the jury would find him credible, and when juxtaposed with Cartwright's testimony backing him up and refuting the medical arguments of the prosecution, they'll probably get an acquittal. Because of Cartwright. Yeah. I mean, he's bringing the thunder. Um, I was... <laughs> thunder. All I was thinking was, Cartwright. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so Just felt, like that. I was surprised that she was honest with him about that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because, you know, so was she shining him on at the beginning when she was like, oh, yeah, you'll testify. Yeah. Like, was that I think she genuine? was. I yeah. think she was bullshitting him at first because yeah. this, this feels like... Because uh, now she's like, look, they don't want you to. level with you. Yeah. Yeah. But that night, we see Aaron sleeping in bed, the clock behind her reading 3 a.m. The camera moves closer to her, and the sounds of whispers stir her awake. She hears the sounds of screams coming from her living room, only to find the tape of Emily's exorcism playing on its own. It's a hell of an alarm clock. Yeah. <laughs> God damn. I don't like that setting. No. So it's r- when they zoom in on the, the clock, there's uh-huh. a book under it with a scary face on the binding oh no shit and i was like oh there's a face there and i was like rewind it but when you rewind it and then stop it it's part of the book it was just on the book yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, <gasps> they're planting seeds right? <laughs> they're like this is about a demon yeah <laughs> but she just shuts off the tape recorder and walks away she is way too chill there's no way i would no. stay here after no. that after what happened no. the night yeah previous fuck no we're not doing this but the next day in court father moore has taken the stand After Aaron asks him the details, he explains that he was given permission to perform the exorcism on October 27th and stayed up all night studying the Roman ritual of exorcism. He's cramming for his exorcism exam. Well, I feel like maybe you shouldn't get confirmation without having this on the noodle already. Right. It's like, oh, shit. And then maybe when you're going to (laughs) perform an exorcism, don't stay up all night. (laughs) He's like, power of Christ. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, are you tired? Did you sleep last night? But he fell asleep with the book in his hand. But we see him wake up with a start. He says he was freezing. The book falls to the floor and the lamp on his nightstand flickers. It was exactly 3 a.m., which he says is the demonic witching hour used to mock the Holy Trinity. Aaron's like, fuck. <laughs> <She> has, <laughs> you see it on her face. She has no poker yeah. face. 
But he says that he also smelled something burning and remembers this was the same thing perceived by Emily. I just wanted to point out really quick, the witching hour is Mm -hmm. in mockery of the miracle hour, which was when Christ died. I think it was when he came back. He said when he yeah, died. He said, oh, did he? Yeah. They said, okay. said 3 p.m. was Christ's death. So what? When I th- don't call that the miracle hour. Yeah, the hour that when I that sound, seems yeah. very ding dong. The witch is dead. It sounds like you're gonna party as soon as. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound good. No, I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> but we watch as he leaves his room and makes his way down a hall, each agonizing step creaking. He watches as blood appears on stained glass and paintings all around him begin to corrode. I saw on the commentary, or I heard actually, mm-hmm. I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Derrickson said that whenever this scene was filmed, there was no effect or anything and they didn't even know what they had planned. And so before he sent it to the CG department he told tom wilkinson he's like i need you to just act like something really scary just happened yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right and so he did yeah and so they did this with the cg later which i the lighting you yeah. mean i learned was just lighting yeah it was just lighting <laughs> but i think it is effective yeah yeah but he begins to pray but eventually gives up running down the stairs with the camera attached to him like mtv's fear yeah. i in my notes put <laughs> mtv's fear view that's the first place i yeah. ever saw that shit I don't think they invented it. They did to me. But to me, yeah. <laughs> they were the first. I'm not the one who's so far away. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the song ended. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. On the show. Yes. Anyways, when he finally makes it outside, he catches his breath in the pouring rain. Against the purple light of a window, he sees the silhouette of a hooded figure nod at him. Like, let's do this shit. Yeah. <laughs> that, it's like, you rang. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot just it was, to make it an was. entrance. <laughs> He's like, this is just a taste. Yeah. <laughs> so again, this brings me back to the hooded figure that we thought we saw in Aaron's apartment. Yeah. It seems like they're planting the seeds of a hooded figure throughout the entire film. Right. Yeah. And then this moment is the payoff of that foreshadowing. Um, the hooded figure in Prince of Darkness could also be considered foreshadowing. So they, (laughs) (laughs) so they started in 87. Uh Interesting. Uh huh. Not that kind of interesting because it is (laughs) is unrelated. It's it's bullshit. But back in court, Father Moore says that he saw the gesture as an acknowledgement that the game was on. Ethan on cross-examination mocks this notion, of course, calling the priest God's gunslinger. What a dick, man. Yeah. Aaron obviously objects and the judge admonishes him and he apologizes. Is this when she talks to him like a child? Well, when she's like, Ethan Thomas or whatever. (laughs) Mr. Thomas. Well, no, there's one that comes later. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. Very egregious. (laughs) Well, the thing is, is my my problem again with the lawyer being religious and then being like, I'm going to hang him, Uh is that you can't say shit like that when you know probably... Everyone in that room believes in God or something. You don't think he'd be you, so flippant? Yeah, you mean? You yeah, that's fair. Well, but let me put it in, in all fairness. There's a lot of denominations. Maybe there are some denominations that think exorcism is bullshit. That, that is seemingly a specifically Catholic. Right. Right. At least in the ways that we see in, in film. Yeah. Right. Because there's, you know, we've talked about Dybbuk stuff. And yeah. There's other religions. She was just talking about other countries. Right. So it's a worldwide thing. 
but the way that we normally see it is through Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Maybe there are some sects of Christianity that are like, oh no, that's not real. Yeah. Maybe I'm not the authority. I am not yeah. either. <laughs> I'm fucking Aaron Bruner right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not fucking Aaron oh Bruner God. right now. I mean, I am her. <laughs> Strike that from Strike the record. Strike that from the record. <laughs> Objection. <laughs> but it's in moments like this that I just feel like they're going out of their way to make him a villain. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it, again do the both sides thing yeah yeah if you're gonna do it that way the funny thing is that derrickson said on commentary that it wasn't his intention to make him a villain and he said that he relates to this character the most of right. all the characters <laughs> well you made him a dick yeah. yeah a little fun fact campbell scott is the son of george c scott the actor oh and after filming this scene he told campbell scott he's like you remind me of your father in anatomy of a murder this the film i think james stewart uh-huh he plays a lawyer as well but campbell scott was like yeah i'm stealing all his moves <laughs> <laughs> he was doing it on purpose but when asked father moore says that he believed the hooded figure was a demonic manifestation meant to excite his fear and admits that it scared the hell out of him then it did its job yeah that's why he bowed he's like fuck yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he says it was his first encounter with it, but that he's seen it ever since. Ethan's like, no further questions. He's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't. It wasn't a good look. No, when you say that you've seen it ever since, I'm sorry. Again, if I'm on the jury, I'm like, oh, he's got issues. Yeah. I, see, I don't. I didn't see it that way. I was. But again, I do believe in it. So to me, I was like, even more. Oh, if he was like, oh, no, yeah, I've seen it before this. It was like really have you <laughs> yeah but I, saying no since this happened i can't fucking stop seeing it. i would be scared yeah i'm saying more of a logical juror no, well, you yeah. know someone who should be a juror right uh-huh. yeah that's um that's not credible is there a box no. for that when they send you I believe for jury it, duty I believe like, it yeah. man i bet the jury selection was a pain in the ass on this trial yeah I bet. oh yeah but aaron approaches the stand tape recorder in hand she asks when the exorcism was held, and as it turns out, cliche as hell, it was held on Halloween. Yeah. As if I didn't say that at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Fathermore explains that he thought the traditions that the holiday is based on, they could use the energy of that to basically make the exorcism more impactful. So in layman's terms, we had spooky vibes. Yes, right. and we're going to take advantage <laughs> yes, yeah. of those spooky vibes. Spooky vibes. But Aaron sets down his tape recorder and asks him to identify it, and he does, saying that the tape of the exorcism is inside, which is a common practice to authenticate an exorcism. I just want to... You can't just be doing this. No. This is like big no-no against the rules. There's discovery. Yes. You need to admit things into evidence. The prosecution needs to know that this is coming. And I'm sorry. The prosecution needs to hear the tape. Let me me get through this part. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was just like, stop. This is when Aaron attempts to enter it into evidence and Ethan objects again. As he should. Saying they were not made aware of it until last night. Aaron's like, dude, neither were we. To the surprise of the judge, she explains that it wasn't given to her by her client, but by Dr. Cartwright, who will be testifying to its authenticity, among other things. Despite Ethan's hissy fit, Aaron has apparently followed all the proper channels and the tape recorder is allowed into evidence. I don't think that's accurate um no i think the judge just <laughs> wants the tea and i don't blame her right. uh judge renee would also have allowed right. it um <laughs> on your show th- yeah. on my show like, i want to hear some freaky <laughs> shit <laughs> <laughs> we're all here for the freaky shit play the freaky shit um 
This literally happened in Primal Fear. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> it wasn't a demonic. I mean, demonic possession would be better uh, than what was on that tape. But um, he just watched Primal Fear. This is <laughs> this is Primal Fear. Well, I I just want to point out again. Not only is if I'm the judge, I have no basis for authenticity on this tape. No, not at all. Except for the defendant. Yeah. Yeah. This is not going in. No, that that's a lot. That's what I'm saying. She just wanted the what's on the tape. Like she just wanted to know. Shouldn't we have Dr. Cartwright on the stand first? Yeah. To verify not only that he gave the tape because right now this all feels like hearsay. Yeah. It all feels like y'all went and made a tape. Yeah. Last night because you're losing. That's what it feels like. She's screaming on the tape in her apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least it wasn't like the tape from Liar Liar. At least, <laughs> at least it wasn't. As we said, things can always get yeah. worse. <laughs> but she then asks Father Moore to play the tape. He presses play and we hear his voice on the tape. He says, this is the exorcism of Emily Rose. Roll credits. <laughs> Those present are Father Moore, Nathaniel, Jason, Dr. Cartwright, and Emily herself, who has given permission for the exorcism to be performed. We're then taken to that night as Father Moore gives his instructions to everyone. He says, you can say your own silent prayer when not responding to him, but you have to do whatever he says. Don't ask the demon any questions or pay any attention to what it says. Remember when Ed Warren said that and then they broke every single rule? Of course. (laughs) How else are you going to have a movie, dude? But he says that they won't be dealing with Emily tonight and she holds her haunted doll and we hear a low grumbling <laughs> chuckle and father Moore asks for her to be restrained. He kisses his crucifix and begins the prayers. Emily tied to the bed just sits there panting. But as soon as father Moore hits her with the holy water, she goes still and lurches forward, opening her eyes. She looks like shit, man. It's rough. Father Moore says that it's begun. Downstairs, Maria, Alice, and her two superfluous sisters watch (laughs) as a crucifix on the wall swings upside down. Very standard exorcism imagery, but you love to see it every time. Mm -hmm. Back upstairs, the men read prayers together as Emily stirs awake, ripping free of her restraints and slapping her father across the face. Screaming in German, she admonishes Nathaniel, mocking him for thinking he could keep his daughter safe. She throws her haunted doll against the door, which causes it to creak open. I love how we're just accepting yeah. that this doll is haunted. <laughs> that doll was scary as shit. Yeah. Allegedly haunted. Alleged. This is a court of law. I'm sorry. Um, that alleged doll. Yeah. Even. <laughs> Jennifer Carpenter really could front for a metal band. Oh, hell like, yeah. She's fucking like... <laughs> I'd listen. That's a lot. Cartwright's like, my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, he wasn't told any of this shit. Yeah, no. But as, <laughs> what was he told? You want to come see some freaky yeah. shit? It's like, you know I'm down for that, man. <laughs> we all want to see some freaky shit. Yeah. But as Father Moore recites the Lord's Prayer and the others join in, Emily finishes the prayer in a scream, deliver us from evil. The priest asks the demon's name and we see the door creak open and it appears things run in around them. Emily says that she is the thing that dwells within, but the priest just pulls a cool cat and he's like, identify yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Instead, Emily just counts to six over and over again, saying, trick or treat, I give you treats and tricks. So the demon knows it's Halloween. I'm like, yes. I'm like, is this a song by the used? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I'm loving it. Was this a bonus track on In Love and Death? 
But we see Father Moore is surrounded by cats who just proceed to hop up and whip his entire ass. It's like, no, she's got the cats on her side. Yeah. <laughs> she brought them in. We're fucked. She's like, she demon did, or not. Yeah, th- I'm riding for that yeah. bitch. <laughs> I'd be outside. I'd be on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> but the men rush to help him out of the frantic feline fight. And Emily sees this <laughs> as her chance to, and just fucking jumps through the window. Straight Spider-Man out there. <laughs> <Yeah. motherfucker. laughs> like through the glass. It's yeah. not even open. But she runs to the barn in the rain. Nathaniel rushes downstairs with the rest of the men following after, including Alice. She joins the fray and she just stands in the rain watching in fear and disbelief. Once inside the barn, Nathaniel grabs Emily, who is trying to drown herself in a trough. He says that Emily is burning up like temperature wise. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I just had to be clear. Thank you for it's the like, she's on fire. <laughs> for the- it's not NBA jams. <laughs> <laughs> but Emily shrieks as the men pull her to the ground. As Alice calls her name from the doorway, Emily howls into the night something fierce and the horses freak the fuck out. This is when Father Moore instructs Cartwright to check her vital signs. As the storm rages outside, the camera sweeps around the men, the priest in prayer. The barn door swings open, Emily snarls and low moans filling the night. We get shots of bugs, spiders, snakes, and rats just apparently hanging out in the bar now. Yeah. The bar now. The bar? (laughs) (laughs) The barn now. (laughs) They went to the sidebar. Enunciation. Enunciation. That's that's the real villain of this film. Those are her. I mean, Emily, maybe she knew that this was coming because she's just been amassing these animals. Yeah. We Come saw to her defense. Her first collection <laughs> upstairs. Yeah, she's yeah. like evil Snow White. Yeah. It's honestly <laughs> I'd watch that film. She poisons the apple. Yeah. <laughs> but in his prayer, Father Moore says God gives power to tread on all things, and nothing shall by any means hurt her. Emily's like, nothing? And just whips a snake at his back. <laughs> that snake was a real yeah. one. He's yeah. Like, He's like, the cat said you were cool, so um. I Say no more, fam. <laughs> but Father Moore screams. Pissed off about that snake toss, he presses his crucifix against her chest, burning her, and she starts to freak out. She grabs Cartwright by the throat as Father Moore screams for the demon to release him. Emily then stands up, facing off with the priest, and once again, he demands to know the demon's name. Emily just screams, names, and continues to count to six over and over. The priest demands the demon depart from this vessel of God and tell him its six names. Emily says, we are the ones who dwell within. She was saying I earlier. Yeah. No, they got homies now. Oh, yeah. And it's interesting because the whole time the demon was given clues. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, tell me your name. And he's like, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah. Yeah. Six names. Do you mean names? uh? It's like, until you do, I'm just going to keep fucking (laughs) around. The demon just, I'm actually (laughs) him. Yeah. But oh, in, did you say name as in singular? Oh, well, then one, two, three, four, five, six, you stupid <laughs> piece of shit. But in various languages, Emily says that she once dwelt within Cain, Nero, Judas, and she was with Legion. She says she's Belial and she is Lucifer in the flesh. What an introduction. Yeah. Pretty damn good. And in an amazing shot, we see Emily silhouetted against the lightning, small holes for eyes, the same color as the lightning mm-hmm. yeah. surrounding her. It's it's incredible. She howls once more in several voices at once, and the horses are like, oh, hell no. Yeah. That- <laughs> That's what I thought. I was like, the horses at this point, and I told your sister, I said, I don't know why, but one of these horses is David Allen Greer. 
So I hear and his mind. Yeah, and I was like, like mind. I can hear him. Oh fuck this man! And he's just gone. I so, I just love that that was the line. They hung tight yeah. for this whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Well, they're like he the goes, judge. They're like, I just want to see some freaky shit. <laughs> <laughs> Did that bitch say Legion? Yeah. Nah. Nope. Mm-mm. In the flesh? Yeah. That's the line. That's the right, line. Let's go, Buttercup. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> but the, the horses bail out of the barn. Understandably. Yes. One horse gives Nathaniel the Archibald Whitman treatment and fucking kicks him <laughs> <laughs> before breaking out. Cartwright goes to help him as Emily stops howling and just collapses to the floor. On commentary... Derrickson said that the camera operator had to take a break at this point. Damn. I bet. He said that Jennifer Carpenter scared the shit out of him. Well, fuck. Oh, I thought because he was tired. Oh, he no. Was scared? He was scared. Well, she does a damn good job. She really does. He's like, look, you need, to, I'm union, so you need to tell me if there's an actual demon <laughs> yeah, in that right. I, I don't know what we just did, yeah. but is I'm this not, real? Yeah. yeah. Everything is not pizza. No. <laughs> But in present day, Father Moore explains that after they revived Nathaniel, the exorcism had to be abandoned. They took Emily into her room where she fell into a deep sleep. He says the exorcism was a total failure. And in the time between the exorcism and her death, Emily was violent toward herself and others, screaming for hours on end, breaking her teeth, trying to bite holes in walls, just all types of shit. He said he tried to visit every day and he wanted to perform another exorcism, but Emily refused. Now, this is where we differ from reality. Mm-hmm. In the real case, they performed 67 yep. exorcisms. Yeah. That's a lot. And if you were to say that here, that Father Moore performed 67 exorcisms on Emily. We find the defendant guilty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's guilty. Oh, no. Yeah. He's guilty. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's done. So I understand why they changed that because they're really trying to make Father Moore yeah. a Sympathetic. fucking saint. Yeah. yeah. But he says without her consent, they could not move forward. He said he also encouraged her to eat, but every time she tried, something prevented her from swallowing the food. And while he didn't tell her to stop seeking medical care entirely, he did tell her to stop taking Gambutrol. There's a very interesting moment he pointed out in commentary. As this scene progresses, every angle is pressing in on the subject. And the second he admits that he's told her to stop taking the drug, the camera starts to pull back. Because the jury was like, I'm in, yeah. I'm in, I'm in. Fuck. Yeah. You lost me. Because you finally let the air out. Yeah. That's and super interesting. Back. It's something you wouldn't notice until you're told. But when you notice, you're like, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. But he says that after the exorcism, Emily confided in him that the pills never worked, only compounded by the fact that she was on Gambutrol during the exorcism, the supposed peak of her symptoms. So again, I'm like, when did she stop taking the drug after the exorcism? Yeah, See, yeah that's what I was fixing to say. I know he just admitted to that, but you, she didn't stop until then yeah or? yeah and then i mean she died shortly after uh-huh. yeah so i'm like i don't kn- i don't know man the timeline's a little hazy yeah. it is but they both agreed emily and father Moore, that she had to see this through to the end by faith alone aaron asks about the dual voices and father Moore says that they were coming from emily at the same time and he promises that he did not tamper with the tape which sounds like something someone who tampered with the tape would say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you got a promise it's an issue yeah Of course, Ethan pops in his ass-chewing teeth on cross-examination, attempting to discredit the dual voices and the various languages. Father Moore is like, dude, but there was more than that. There are things that I saw that you can't hear on the tape. Ethan's like, well, I guess we'll just have to take your word for it then. 
Cartwright? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where is this dude? Where are you at? Yeah. He was no, you know what happened? They were calling Costanza and then he didn't show. <laughs> but of course, after he says the whole we'll have to take your word for it thing, Aaron objects and he is promptly admonished. Well, it, at this point, I was like, come on, because yeah. the way that he's acting, you expect him to get in Moore's face and be like, you motherfucker. You yeah. Yeah. He needs to chill. Yeah. I think he was really caught off guard by that tape. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> but he um, I took a and P one and two. So I'm basically a doctor. Oh, cool. And uh, <laughs> he's referring to vestigial vocal cords uh-huh. are false vocal cords yeah as, but he, he's attempting to yeah yeah he's he's bullshit they don't they don't make sound he's not a doctor i am <laughs> <laughs> get me on that stand. there you go so you're the judge I'm and the, ju- I'm the, the, judge and the, and the star, star witness, witness. <laughs> <laughs> I like exciting trials. But yeah, as he was saying that, I was like, I don't think that's accurate at no, all. No, it's not. I also took AMP. I we we run Dr. a practice Hunter? together. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> but as it turns out, he says that Emily underwent advanced catechism training, studying Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and possibly even Aramaic, and she studied German in high school, which covers all the languages heard on the tape. That that hurts. That looks real bad. Yeah, that hurts. And she wasn't saying shit that was that complicated. She was like, Ishaisa, <laughs> Emily, <laughs> like my name is Demon, what? <laughs> so it wasn't too complicated. I don't know. It didn't seem like she was struggling with any of she it. She wasn't. Like it all sounded very fluid. Well, she's an excellent student. <laughs> <laughs> she's a quick study. Yeah. But as far as the dual voices are concerned, Ethan asks if Father Moore is aware that all humans have two sets of vocal cords and that Tibetan monks even train themselves to activate both sets at the same time, which isn't exactly true. No. As we've explained. Yeah. Yeah. But in a not so good look, Father Moore says that he was unaware of all of that, including Emily's language background. He's like, look, I met the girl that day. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what elective she took. I know about demons. <laughs> I was not her counselor. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's not fair. He wasn't there when she went to school. He, he wasn't. No. But Ethan asked if it's possible that in her psychotic state, she activated both sets of vocal cords, which again, no. You're really leaning on the set of vocal yeah. cords yeah. That, don't, that don't perform like true vocal cords. But, but keep at it. But yeah, go hard. He then tries to dismantle the robed figure that Father Moore keeps seeing, asking where he is, getting all up in his face, asking if he himself looks like the demon ghost. Again, I think he almost called him a motherfucker. Yeah, (laughs) I think he did. If I were Aaron, I'd be like, maybe the part about the robed figure, maybe that's our little secret. Maybe only me and you talk about that when we're alone. That conversation should have been had in the cell. (laughs) Yeah. Stop bringing him up. (laughs) But the judge is like, she tells him, she's like, you need to calm down. Ethan finally comes back to himself saying that he has nothing further. Ray pops up, whispering something to Aaron, and Aaron relays to the judge that Dr. Cartwright must be detained somewhere because he isn't here yet. After a little dispute between her, the judge, and Ethan, the judge adjourns the court so they can marinate on all the shit they witnessed today. There were a couple things there because Aaron asked if they could wait for Dr. Cartwright and she's like you already made me wait once it's like you're still being petty about those 17 minutes yeah and I wasn't even today so ego. all ego yeah, yeah calm down um and then Ethan's rebuttal to Cartwright even testifying was that 
Father Moore already testified about this. That's not how yeah. courts work. <laughs> Only one person <laughs> can testify about a thing. That's a new I was rule. Like, what are you talking about, dude? They they start strong with their legal arguments and then they just fall <laughs> apart. <laughs> he can't testify because I don't like him. His tie is blue. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> but outside, Aaron confronts Ray about the card ride situation, asking him, what do you mean you couldn't find him? Ray says he checked everywhere, but Aaron sends him to the hospital to ask around. I guess they're like, he might have gotten, you know, anything. Yeah. yeah. Or no, he's also a doctor. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he, he was in an accident, but no, he, he works there. That is his place of work. But on a walk to clear her head, Aaron runs into Cartwright, who apologizes to her. He says to tell Father Moore he's sorry and that he believes that demons are real and admires Father Moore's courage in standing and speaking against them. He says he knows what they can do. And then fear fills his face as he backs away from Aaron, staring right behind her. It looked like he was looking at her. I'd be mm-hmm. like, am I a demon? Yeah. <laughs> am I wearing a robe? <laughs> Aaron turns around to see nothing. But when she turns back to Cartwright, he is struck by a speeding car, killed instantly. This is a lot. Now, speeding is... Spe- a stretch yeah, that spe- car wasn't going that well, fast it was going at a speed this is what <laughs> <Yeah>. I, mean. <laughs> I mean it was not sitting still yes. um i read that originally it was supposed to have been a heart attack but the studio said that that wasn't exciting enough so they made him get hit by a car in front of aaron i feel like if he had just been hit by a car somewhere else i wouldn't hate this yeah. as much i feel like if he had had a heart attack you can bring in was it the demon's did he die of fright? It's Were more, the demons like, let me right. squeeze this oh, motherfucker's yeah, heart yeah. And, and you're not going to testify? It's more ambiguous. <laughs> Why do the demons care? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the demons are like, I'm not going down for this shit. They're fucking Jeff me. from yeah. Book of Shadows. <laughs> but I, I think... We're not taking the fall <laughs> for Emily. I think that the thing about this is that it's too much for Aaron to see personally. It's dumb. Yeah. Like I don't know how don't else know. to put it. I don't like I don't this like at, it all. at all. Couldn't they have just, uh, and if it is the heart attack, then you save the ambiguity of right. the both sides. Because right now I'm like, oh, a fucking demon killed Dr. Yeah. Cartwright. And it's yeah. not, if I am so scared that I no call, no show. <laughs> <laughs> a court hearing. To court, yeah. I'm not going to meet with the attorney after and be like, look, I'm sorry, dude. Uh, you're never going to see me again. No. So the fact that he even met with her was weird. And then. Well, but it seemed like she just stumbled upon him that's true i don't know i don't like, like any was he part on of his that. way to court and he's like nope can't do it he was on his way to his heart attack and then he got hit by a car just ridiculous i wanted to mention it earlier when she went to talk to him and he was feeding the birds uh-huh that scene kind of hurt me a bit because it's very heavy-handed of how important he is and it almost shows you he's not gonna make it already it really, or it, it really or, does or it, all, it projects you know he's not yeah. gonna make it well they literally everything's writing on yeah him. they paint him as a savior yeah yeah they're like oh so you can do this for us and that and yeah. exonerate him and you killed emily <laughs> it's like dude <laughs> <laughs> they they really put way too much on him it, and it did a man's life is on the line <laughs> so but he, not really not it, really it kind of showed this coming i think you that's know? fair i told like, i totally man. agree because it's like He's literally like the missing piece. Yeah. Like this is all we need and then we're fine. It's not going to happen. Maybe if you would have toned it down a little bit how important he was. Uh-huh. Then it would have been like, "Okay, you just got cold feet, whatever." 
But no, it, it like you said, he's like, I videoed it, I everything, I had yeah. someone drawing it, you know, it's like <laughs> it was a, stenog- a stenographer, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> we have a full translator. Uh, yeah. R. Kelly's grandmother in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's a lot. Yeah. But back in her office, Aaron has a meeting with her friend Johnny Walker Red. Yeah, understandably. Gunderson walks in to check on her and asks if she's seen the paper, tossing it onto her desk. The front page article reads, The Devil and Father Moore. Priest describes encounter with demonic ghosts. See, that's what they're running with. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you fucking goofed. Yeah. But Gunderson is pissed that she allowed Father Moore to take the stand, but she says the whole point was to have Cartwright corroborate afterwards. And regardless, his testimony is crucial to his defense. She says that she swore an oath to do what's best for her client, and Gunderson's like, save it, Bruner. <laughs> like he, he goes yeah, in on her. Mad. He tells her that she cashed in her conscience for the gig, period. She says that people can change, and Gunderson asks, like James Van Hopper. Wow, what a dick. Yeah. Why are you bringing up bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> Very low blow. I was a shark when I did that. All right, <laughs> I've changed. Now I'm a seal. I do. <laughs> I'm a seal now. Don't you see? I have a locket. Sharks don't wear lockets. Yeah. Uh, they got their necks are too big. <laughs> but I'm sure he was happy when she fucking won that case. Oh, of course. Yeah. How are you going to be? Don't a be dick throwing now. it in my face. Yeah. now. Well, because he's an asshole. But Aaron says that the trial isn't over. Nathaniel can still take the stand to corroborate the exorcism, or maybe one of the unnamed sisters. Gunderson says no, and as tears roll down her cheek, he says that she screwed up the case beyond repair. He's not going to replace her, but if she puts Father Moore back on the stand, she's fired. Do you not care that this dude just died I, in front, in of, front her? of her? No, yeah. he doesn't. No. He isn't, he isn't like my condolences or anything. No. Or are you okay? Yeah. He's just like, fucking on yeah. the stand. <laughs> yeah. This is just really heavy handedly presents that yeah. dilemma. Uh, yeah. My career or th- the truth. Yeah. yeah. The good truth. Yeah. The good truth. But she just cries quietly. In the next scene, she visits Father Moore, though, giving him the news about Cartwright. Father Moore crumbles as Aaron tells him that they've lost the case without him. He says this isn't true and demands to be put on the stand again. When she says that she can't, he hands her a letter telling her to read it, then decide what she wants to do. He also brings up what she said earlier about being on the right path, which is a little callback that I appreciated. Yeah, it is. Why wouldn't he have given her this earlier? Because they just keep finding evidence. And um, what more do yeah. you have to say, Father? You said you said a mouthful today. Yeah. What more do you? Were there several robed demons <laughs> coming at? What more do you have to say? It was a whole fucking coven. There were six. <laughs> yeah. There were six of them. But he says that he saw her complete non-poker face in court when he mentioned 3 a.m. And he says that it's not going to stop until Emily's story is told. Did the demon say that? Yeah. <laughs> Like he told after he nodded to him, he's like, now, by the way, listen, (laughs) until you get to tell that story, right? because we're demons who care about the court system until you take the stand. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So they're just fucking uh, mobsters. I guess. guess. Intimidating witnesses. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we heard you. uh, (laughs) You saw a murder. Maybe you didn't. (laughs) Maybe you didn't see shit, huh? Maybe you don't have kneecaps. (laughs) But that night, Aaron turns the clock on her nightstand around, then sits to read the letter. The envelope is addressed to Father Moore, and as she reads the letter itself, she appears conflicted. The next morning, Aaron and Ray walk through a wall of media, refusing to give a statement or comment. As she sits in court next to Father Moore, we see she's wearing the ECB locket she found. Yep. Very nice. Then this is when I was like, okay, so she wasn't lying. Yeah. Yeah. Unless she's always (laughs) just had that locket. Yeah. (laughs) 
but she looks behind her to see Gunderson staring a hole through her. Aaron immediately recalls Father Moore to the stand, and Gunderson's like, are you fucking kidding me? And just leaves the courtroom, loudly slamming the door. Yeah, I put not her boss literally fucking walking out. That made me laugh. I laughed because, I mean... I feel like that's contempt of court, what he just did. Right. But at the very least, be. at the very least, it's ocean rudeness. <laughs> it's ocean rudeness. <laughs> he went to go pack her shit. He did. He's nope. like, I'm going to get a box. Yeah. That's where I got to go. <laughs> but when asked, Father Moore says that the last time he saw Emily alive was the night before she died. Emily asked to see him in order to give him the letter, which she wrote the morning after the failed exorcism. She says it was important for him to share And when asked if Emily was a good person, he says that he thinks one day Emily will be recognized as a saint. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He didn't have to, they didn't have to enter the letter into evidence. Again, I don't know. Yeah, because she just slipped it to him. Yeah. Read this. And (laughs) shouldn't we have it verified that it was, that was written by Emily? I mean, yeah. yeah. Because Father (laughs) Moore could have written this last night in his cell. Like nothing, like what, what happened to the court system? It's gone. (laughs) But after a fiery objection from Ethan, Aaron asks Father Moore why God would allow this to happen to Emily. He says Emily can answer that herself and starts to read her letter. Emily recounts the events from Halloween, saying the demons refused to leave her. We transition to Emily's voice telling the story, saying that she fell into a deep sleep. When she woke up, she heard a voice calling her name, and we see her leaving her house and walking through the fog toward a bent, leafless tree nobody's watching her yeah. after no. that this is post fucking bananas ass exorcism yeah. nobody's watching her nope. well they're probably tired too <laughs> <laughs> I mean, shit. and i love this shot of the tree yeah it's a great shot mm-hmm. my favorite shot of the film is probably the demon bowing to father Moore in the purple light but yeah. this is a close second for me <laughs> but emily collapses in front of the tree bruised and beaten as the camera rises we see a healthy version of her in a white gown looking down at herself there's the white. Yep. And all the fog. Oh, yeah. And all the fog was practical. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was Tricks of the Light. Yes, yeah. this, this was actually <laughs> Tricks of the Light. They said they had to wear masks while filming. Oh, Damn. wow. But Emily says that she was then visited by the Virgin Mary, who said heaven was not blind to her suffering. Emily asked why this is happening, and Mary apologized and said that the demons were going to stay where they are, but she gives Emily a choice. She can leave her earthly body right now and ascend to heaven, or she could stay in her body, living proof that the world of spirits and demons is in fact real. Emily chooses to stay. We then see her clean, healthy counterpart dragged back down to the ground, crawling backwards and becoming one with her bruised counterpart. She lifts her hands to reveal the wounds of stigmata. Emily's letter ends. In the end, good will triumph over evil. Through my experience, people will know that demons are real. People say that God is dead, but how can they think that if I show them the devil? Why are you so worried about what everybody else thinks? Yeah, she's. It's not worth all that. She's fresh out of high school. A lot of people, <laughs> you know, sell you know, insecurity. But I think that's a fucking brilliant line. It is. Mm-hmm. And oh, if I if I show them the devil, yeah, yeah for sure. Um, Father Moore, of course, breaks down, which on commentary they said was a choice of the actors. Oh, wow. I mean, it, it works. Yeah. It works very well. Do you remember that stigmata episode of Nip Tuck with Sarah Paulson? Yeah. <laughs> when she was like, I feel like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. How can I forget that shit? That episode was ridiculous. <laughs> but... <laughs> 
Father Moore believes her wounds to be stigmata, indicating that she was touched by God. He also says he refused further exorcisms because she had accepted her fate. Aaron then asks if he has anything more to say about Emily, and when he doesn't, the defense rests. No further questions! (laughs) (laughs) Then, of course, in his closing arguments, Ethan writes off the stigmata as self-inflicted, saying Emily did it to herself on one of the barbed wire fences around the farm, which we see her do in an alternate version of events. I mean, I'm no fence expert, Mm -hmm. but that didn't look like a fence hole. A fence hole? A fence wound. Well, barbed wire is pointy. Yeah, but they don't stick out that much that's going to go all the way through your hand. It was like through her hand. Well, if she did it back and forth. Okay, <laughs> that's thorough. a lot. She's thorough. <laughs> She's like, this has to look convincing. I do want to point out that the film opens with a shot of barbed wire with blood dripping from it. Right. So I don't know if that's the film saying that she oh. did do it to herself uh-huh. or if it's just trying to be ambiguous. That's cheeky. But it intrigued me. Right. It is intriguing because this is not an ambiguous film. Not, this is not ambiguous. They tried. It's not ambiguous. Or so they claim. <laughs> <laughs> they tried to make us believe quotes. in demons. Yes. But Ethan repeats his entire argument. Though he considers himself a man of faith, he says Emily suffered from sickness, not demons, driving the point home that medicine would have helped, but Father Moore got in the way and caused her death. In almost a growl, Ethan tells the jury not to believe the story. Yeah, it's like, dude, you're being really aggressive. Yeah. Like that energy. Don't tell me what to do. No. He's innocent. And you want to like, know something else though? Is that whenever he was like, "Well, am I the ghost demon?" I'm like, maybe you are because yeah, <laughs> the way dude. you're fucking talking. That he got worried. He's like, I'm almost found out. He's in the pocket <laughs> of a big demon. He's like, I let <laughs> pocket of big demon. But he says that it wasn't the devil who did this to Emily Rose. It was the defendant. Again, great line. It was yeah. But in her closing argument, in contrast to Ethan's faith, Aaron admits that she has her doubts. She says either the spiritual and supernatural exist or they don't. It's all about possibilities rather than facts. She brings up Adani's testimony, saying she can't say whether or not it's true, but what matters is if it's possible. Same goes for the effects of Gambutrol. She can't be sure, but it's possible. She asks if what Emily wrote in her letter is a fact and that she chose to die to open our minds to the spiritual world. Again, she can't say that's a fact, but it's possible. It's what Emily and Father Moore believed. But she asks, is Father Moore guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? Did his decisions directly lead to her death? She obviously says no, because that would have ruined her whole case. Right. (laughs) She's like, it's a possibility. Maybe it's possible. (laughs) But she says that's not a fact. Facts leave no room for possibilities. She says the only fact in this case is that Father Moore loved Emily and did everything he could to help her. She admits that she's defended some bad people in her job, but Father Moore is not one of them. In a very good line, she says, I'm not asking that you believe everything Father Moore believes. I'm simply asking that you believe in Father Moore. That's good. Her closing argument is much better than asshole McGee's. Like, much better. (laughs) He's like, demons, come on. (laughs) Come on, you guys. Like, really? You believe that shit? That was his closing argument. (laughs) But in the next scene, the jury has reached a verdict, and we follow it as it passes from the foreperson to the judge. I wish we had been told how long the deliberation took. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone's in different clothes, so it's not like they came back 15 minutes later or something. But I would have liked to see really how on the fence they were. Right. They're like, so we know, right? (laughs) (laughs) That guy's fucking... Come on. Yeah. But the bailiff passes it back to her and she reads it out loud. 
in the case of the people versus Father Richard Moore, we, the jury, find the defendant guilty of negligent homicide. Wow. The news hits Father Moore and Aaron, and the judge moves on to scheduling sentencing. Aaron then says that Father Moore requested immediate sentencing if he were to lose, and the judge is like, mm, yes, I recall that. When That's not that? how it works. Yeah. I don't <laughs> First of all, like- he could request anything. Um, I request to... <laughs> I've been be found innocent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I request to go home, please. It's like, I don't give a shit. Well, I have seen stuff like that where they're like, just sentence me. I don't need to. If I'm found guilty, just just give me whatever you're going to give me. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Why? Yeah. And the, the thing that gets me is that she asked the prosecution and the prosecution doesn't object to this. So no. they move on. Don't you think the prosecution would be like, um, actually, yeah. we would like to discuss this. Yeah. yeah. Instead, they just Ethan's do like, that no, whole, we're fine. Yeah, he's like, fuck it. Like, look at each other. Like, is that this cool for dinner? And they're all like, Meh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, that was the reaction. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the judge reminds Father Moore that he's facing up to 10 years for this crime. But the foreperson of the jury interrupts offering a recommendation for <laughs> <Yeah>. sentencing. <laughs> Time served. The judge looks at Ethan, then accepts the sentence. Yeah. That's fucking hilarious (laughs) and it felt like such a psych moment yeah it was like father moore you are guilty of being the best damn priest (laughs) in town like that's what it felt like they fucking high five him like (laughs) get your ass out of here man i'm I'm sorry no offense to juries but juries are just 12 people no like they're like i'm excuse me judge i'll take it for (laughs) (laughs) i'll borrow that robe now thanks uh you know what's funny is that if the the judge was the demon and she just throws the hood over (laughs) Oh, shit, That's dude. the real twist. That's the M. Night twist. Yeah. But <laughs> she tells Father Moore that he is guilty and he's free to go. <laughs> this is so funny, dude. This like, is like yeah, so unbelievable. It, it's like, and then like, there's like a groundswell of music, you know? I don't know if that was there. They carry the priest out on their shoulders. <laughs> Father Moore. Father Moore. Just chanting his name. It's like confetti. None of this is realistic. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I did like it, but I was like, this is not, I was like, this is not going to ever happen. It's a very heartwarming ending. Yes, it is. No, but. it is. But that's Come on. hilarious. No, it is. It's a lot. An interesting thing is that the extras in the jury who didn't speak, I heard on commentary that they did not know how the case would turn out. And whenever they were given the assignment to deliberate, quote unquote, they actually did. And they come up with a hung jury. They were split down the middle. I feel like that would be more realistic. You get some religious people in that jury. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't I don't think it's a conviction. I think it's probably a mistrial. Yeah. Yeah. Although I don't see if you're sent to do your duty how you don't come to the conclusion that he is guilty of negligent homicide as you said these are 12 regular people fair yeah. this is not okay i'm gonna take my job come on dude do you remember in the scott peterson trial when that one <laughs> lady was like she, he reminds me of my ex because my ex was yeah. abusive when i was pregnant uh-huh. conviction it's like, it's no, like no these people yeah. are just like us and they're petty like us and they have hang-ups like us he reminds me. That's what that I know. That's what happened. I remember. And he, of course, was convicted. And he was convicted. But that that's nuts to me that that's your reasoning. Oh, I wasn't listening. She, yeah, she should <laughs> have been He looks like this asshole. No. I know. Yeah. No, she lied on her form and everything. Oh. Yeah. But I mean, it's that's a whole other. We really do need to oh, do true a podcast, true crime yeah. show, dude. But that's a whole other story. But I'm saying. Yeah. Not everybody's going to be like, let me wipe away all my biases yeah, and beliefs yeah. and just look at the facts. That's not how humans work. I hate it here. <laughs> That's just not <laughs> what happens. 
But after dismissing the court, Father Moore thanks Aaron and she gives him a hug. But at the sidebar, Gunderson approaches Aaron saying that she shocked them all like he wasn't just chewing her ass a couple days ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh-uh. Fuck that dude, man. He's like, I'm playing both sides. (laughs) (laughs) I always come out on top. But he says that the firm is over the moon and the archdiocese is pleased. She throws his words in his face from earlier and he admits that he was wrong, but he's willing to make it right. He offers her the full partnership that she was after, but she declines, leaving him alone at the bar. She's going into a private practice with <laughs> Wexler and McGill. <Miguel. laughs> so fuck you. Yeah. I'd watch that for about six seasons, I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> but we dip down from a thundering sky to find Aaron and Father Moore at Emily's gravesite. Father Moore says he can't return to his parish. He says once you look into darkness, you carry it with you for the rest of your life. He says that Aaron can relate, but she isn't so sure. They look down to Emily's grave, the epitaph chosen by Father Moore, who says Emily recited it to him the night before she died. As Aaron leaves a white rose on her grave, we see that it reads, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's dark. Uh, yeah. I literally wrote bit dark that. Yeah. A, a, a bit, yeah. Um, also, you chose the epitaph. Her parents didn't. Yeah. Again, like you guys were saying. Were you her father? Yeah. Like her father, yeah, father? Is that <laughs> the real twist of the film? <laughs> I. It's so weird. But that night, Aaron boxes up all the case files, turns off her lamp, and climbs into bed. She closes her eyes for a moment, but opens them up to turn the clock on her nightstand to face her. The camera presses in as she smiles, closing her eyes and drifting off to sleep. Before the credits roll, we get a few end title cards. They say Emily's grave has become an unofficial shrine, attracting visitors from all over the world. It also states that Father Moore went into seclusion after the trial, refusing to appeal his verdict, saying that this is a matter for God and that earthly courts do not equate to God's judgment. Lastly, A card says Aaron Bruner shared her case files with anthropologists and medical researchers whose further research and published work about the life and death of Emily Rose inspired this film. We fade to black and the credits roll. So what did you guys think of The Exorcism of Emily Rose? So watching it again for the show, like I said, I know before I said that when I watched it, when it came out, I didn't like... The court, whatever, was kind of slow for me or whatever. Um, but I enjoyed this shit a lot more. Yeah. Like I was like, oh, this is a good movie. I remember liking it, but watching it now, I wouldn't even mind watching it again anytime soon uh, yeah. to just kind of sit there and, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. watch it without having to stop or whatever. But I thought the movie was really good. I did enjoy it. There are some things that uh, I didn't like, and they're not like to hurt the overall movie, but... There are some things that I was like, yeah, you know what I mean? I really like it. I like the court aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Carpenter's, oh, holy yeah. shit. Like every scene she's in is terrifying. Yes. There was some court stuff that was a bit <laughs> hilariously ridiculous. And the whole way that they handled Cartwright really yeah. was not good. But It's almost unnecessary. It, yeah. it is. Um, overall, I, I I still like this. I haven't seen it in so long, and I was wondering if it would hold up. And it's not perfect or anything, but I think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, th- I feel like it's just such an interesting film with very big ideas. I'm unsure how well they portray these ideas in an unbiased way. Right. Which is not, not well. at all. <laughs> not, not very well. But I think that it's kind of a conversation piece because I definitely want to talk more about this 
at length. Right. You know, especially when we bring in the true case of Annalise Michelle. Yeah. And oh, if y'all yeah. haven't read about that, that's a that's super interesting. Mm-hmm. The pictures are horrible and uh-huh. it's uh it's a lot. And honestly, I feel like because in that case, the priests were found guilty. Yeah. But they never served jail time. I think it was just converted to probation or something. But that case was far more egregious than what we saw in this film. Yeah, Yeah. it was. And I think I would have more people agreeing with me. (laughs) Yeah. If they did the case like verbatim. Because holy shit. But I I did want to come in because when listening to the commentary, you see how much of a student of film Derrickson is. He references certain shots and he says that, you know, this was inspired by Kurosawa. This is inspired by Hitchcock or Scorsese even. The court scenes, he said Martin Scorsese. (laughs) So it's just like very interesting. Oh, and of course, Argento. Right. Suspiria. I I would like to rewatch it again through that lens, especially knowing the whole color situation. Mm -hmm. That's a that's a rewatch for me. It changes how you perceive the scenes. It's Mm -hmm. so cool. So cool. But I guess that brings us to ratings. I really do enjoy this movie i feel like i'm a little unsure of the message it's trying to send you know no that's totally fair i mean on the positive side like we said the performances are amazing laura linney doesn't get enough credit for this or mostly anything. anything i love her and it's hard because of how much she's overshadowed by jennifer carpenter in this film because jennifer carpenter is amazing in this yeah Mm -hmm. But I also think that the horror scenes of The Exorcism are actually genuinely scary. Oh, yeah. Like, there are some shots in The Exorcism scene itself that are downright frightening. Yeah. The lightning comes to mind. I think that the court scenes are very interesting, even if they're not entirely accurate. (laughs) I think on the negative side, it would probably be that the court scenes are not entirely (laughs) accurate. I also feel like the ambiguity should be done better i mean they make ethan so villainous when i think the real villain of this film should be the devil (laughs) (laughs) or whoever the fucker in the cloak was i don't know yeah but i think the biggest negative for me is the matter of it being important in a lot of cases and a lot of things in life to keep an open mind but i don't know that this is one of them (laughs) (laughs) but on a scale from one to ten three a.m wake ups I'm going to give The Exorcism of Emily Rose 7.5 out of 10 3 a.m. wake-ups. I think that the way that this film is done, it's definitely worth watching. Just know that it's very biased. (laughs) (laughs) And know that you're going to get some really good horror scenes. And I love a courtroom drama. Same. I love a real courtroom as well. So (laughs) this is like right up our alley. Yeah. But I will now open the floor to you. I I did enjoy the movie as well. And uh, you saying that about, like I said, to me, I just know I was like, man, there's a lot of colors in this fucking movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But that does give it a rewatchability to go back and see all that and then notice it. I enjoyed this movie for it being different because she's dead. Most exorcist movies, they're like, oh, we got the demon out. She's safe now. (laughs) Yeah. Here's your baby. You know what I mean? No, this lady's dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's she's not coming back. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's a it's it's different. It's not the whole like you said, we start with her dead and Mm -hmm. then we show what happened. We always start with a happy family. Then somebody gets possessed and the family's terrorized. Somebody comes and helps them and the demon's gone. That's not what's happening here. The no. demon won. You know what I mean? 
Um, there, it, it is very heavy-handed. I didn't like the Cartwright thing. It was kind of like, it, it, to me, when we <laughs> seen him in that scene and he was feeding the pigeons, talking to her and all that, I was like, you're going to die. Yeah, you something's going to happen. Yeah, I was you. like, you pretty much just spelled it out for us that he's way too important. Mm-hmm. So he's got to go. That did kind of hurt it for me. Um, the the headstone thing, you should have just used the whole passage. You didn't need to cut it in half. Because uh, like you said, it sounds kind of... You know I mean? It's, it's like, dark. Ooh. But I did enjoy this movie. The courtroom is uh, silly at times. <laughs> but it, I feel like if you're just sitting there watching it, you know what I mean, and enjoying it, it and you kind of leave out all the... You know, that's not for... You know what I mean? It, you, it, It's good. So on a scale from 1 to 10, 3 a.m. wake-ups, I'm going to give The Exorcism of Emily Rose an 8. Wow. I will rewatch this movie, and I agree with you with her doing it, like doing the exorcism scenes and all that. It's very unnerving. Yes. And because it's her doing it, you're like... That looks fucking real, <laughs> yeah. but it is. Yeah. So you're like, God, oh man, you know, and it did, it did even to me. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there like, God damn, girl, that shit looks <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Some of it's like hard to look yeah. at. And that's 15 plus years later. Yeah. Man. No, I really like this movie too. I think it, it holds up for me. The horror scenes are still very scary. Mm-hmm. And that's because of Jennifer Carpenter. The, my one drawback, aside from the nitpicky shit that we said along the way, is I feel like there's a real conversation to be had about religion and mental health mm-hmm. and how a lot of mental health issues are explained away as shit like this. And even like um, Father Moore says at one point, you know, she was going to face this with her faith alone, like and not her medicine. That's so dangerous. Like that's such a dangerous mind. I see people doing that with like COVID like that. It's so, it's so scary and such a slippery slope that I wish that the film had leaned into that more Mm -hmm. and maybe played up that ambiguity as, yeah, it could have, it could have been, you know, demons, but you know, maybe not make it a made up term of what she was suffering. (laughs) Like there's There's actual actual conditions. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I see schizophrenia, you know, dismissed a lot as, oh my God, possession or, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. I, I That's a real conversation to be had. And I, maybe that's just not the story they were trying to tell, but that's the story I would have liked to have been yeah. told. Mm-hmm. Um, but so maybe that's not fair of me to be like, well, why didn't y'all talk about this? Because <laughs> maybe that's just not what they were doing. But I do like this movie. A lot of it is very heavy handed. A lot of it is pretty damn inaccurate. And the uh, real story was skewed in a way that oh, really yeah. <laughs> absolves this fictional priest of culpability. But it's a fun watch. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to do everything with just lighting and shadows. Mm-hmm. Was, I'm, I'm still not over it. <laughs> I, I can't even believe it. <laughs> one might say it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a scale from 1 to 10 at 3 a.m. wake-ups, I also gave The Exorcism of Emily Rose 7.5 3 a.m. wake ups. It's it's still good, man. Mm-hmm. Like I it's been probably a decade since I watched this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still good. Yeah. I do think that it is important, like you said, especially considering the way that things are going in the world to really not 
attempt to equate those things to where they're both equally viable solutions for yeah. medical problems. <laughs> yeah. A, because the second he said that, I'm like, they better find this fucker guilty. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so scary. That's so dangerous. All I know is I better not start fucking waking up at 3 a.m. <laughs> I'm coming after this movie. I'm not ready, dude. <laughs> after this movie, it's like you're going to punch See, your DVD. <laughs> I, and I know this might just be me, but what if the demon's friendly? Like, can I just let him I possess me and be like, look, let can him you give me powers and I'll let you live inside me? I'll feed you, dude. We can have cheeseburgers <laughs> together and all that, but... Like, well, uh, we're going to get cheeseburgers after this, but <laughs> <laughs> I think you're just hungry. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying, you know what I mean? Why does it got to be a bad thing? What if the demon's like, look, I just wanted to get out of hell. I don't want to go back. The AC's broke down there. <laughs> Can I hang out with you? Sure. Can I fly? Fuck it. Let's do it. I'm a demon. <laughs> Can I fly? Well, I mean, they have supernatural powers, right? I mean, give me some of that. I'll let you live in me. Let's, you know, we'll watch wrestling together or whatever. This man does not represent. <laughs> no, I represent myself. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I wouldn't recommend that in the court of law. No, no uh, the defense rests. <laughs> well, that's all from us at Podmortem. What would you rate the exorcism of Emily Rose and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Podmortem. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Be sure to follow each of us on Twitter at TravisMWH at Blood and Smoke, and at Real Streeter 84 Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, in most situations, in a world of black and white, try to keep an open mind to the possibility of gray. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned until after the music. We want to give a very special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Hey. Thank you. <laughs> special thank you to Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Melanie Van Houston, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent and Allison O'Morton, Guy54, Lala Thomas, Travis and Nisa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Mandy, Jennifer Perez, Pierre Lombard, Carissa, TJ Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Andy Teague, Applin Ontiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Linda, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Jonathan Booth, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhard, and Armand Spasto. Thank you all so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> we, tr <laughs> we truly appreciate all of you, and we want to let you know that you are all one, two, three, four, five, sick. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>